life is really um, complex. There are things about me that you wouldn't understand. Welcome to Now Playing's Batman Movie Retrospective Series. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Part of the Now Playing DC Comics Movie Series. Ah, uh, gives a fella a good feeling to know they're up there doing their job. With our all-star hosts, Jacob the Dark Knight. You're part of this too. Stuart, the boy reviewer. You're becoming quite a celebrity. And the clown prince of podcasting, Arnie. We're pretty good at that. What are you protecting me from? Have you ever danced with a spoiler in the pale moonlight? This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. What do you suppose something like this does to a kid? Listener discretion is advised. Enough monkey business. We've got work to do. Monkey work. And here we go. Riddle me this. What is everywhere but remains unseen? It has the colors red and green. It has six eyes but thousands of ears. It has no mouth, but still you can hear. It's found in the subway, the office, and the gym. But it moves with you if you sit, walk, or swim. If you figured out this riddle, you know what I'm saying. The answer is, of course, this podcast from Now Playing. Today we're discussing The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Paul Dano, Jeffrey Wright, John Turturro, Peter Sarsgaard, Andy Serkis, Colin Farrell, directed by Matt Reeves. You think I'm hiding in the podcast? But I am the podcast. This is Arnie. And Stuart. Am I the only one that knows the difference between L and law? This is the Jacob. (laughs) (laughs) U-R-L. Whatever about this movie, that one was bad. (laughs) That was a bad way to give a clue. (laughs) Oh, I I cracked up at that. I loved it. Well, welcome back, everyone, to DC. Apparently, the first of four DC movies is this one we just came out of, The Batman. There's a trailer for just DC. I saw that at the Super Bowl. <laughs> Instead of having like a movie trailer, it's a trailer for like a studio. And Marjorie leaned over to me as we watched that trailer and was like, oh, they're trying to be Marvel. But really, this year is DC's. Not only four movies, at least one TV series with Peacemaker. And I heard there's going to be a Penguin spinoff on HBO, which apparently Colin Farrell, for whatever reason, is going to show up to be unrecognizable on that too. <laughs> and there's a second TV series they're working on. Yeah, just a, I think a Gotham PD one. There's also an Arkham Asylum one they're talking about making. So, oh, okay. Yes, we are here with a Bat franchise outside of the DCEU. 
Is there a DCEU anymore? I know, look, spoilers, I guess, but it's out there. Like, the Flash is going to go around the multiverse. Michael Keaton's coming back. Like, does EU even matter anymore? Like, it's just DC. I have a theory, and this isn't a spoiler because it's just a guess. I think in the Flash, the multiverse is going to get scrambled, and Ben Affleck is going to go to rehab or wherever you go in the multiverse, and Henry Cavill's going to go away. And there will be a DCEU that keeps the movies that did well. Wonder Woman and... Aquaman for some reason. Mm. <laughs> and they're making movies for Batgirl and Supergirl. And I think those are going to be in the DCEU. And in this whole multiverse now, you're going to have Batman in his own area. Joker was in his own area. And so it's going to enable the possibility through multiverse of bringing people together, but also giving them their own individual stories. But worth saying, this movie was supposed to star Ben Affleck and supposed to come out like four years ago. Yeah, I feel like this has been on my radar for a very long time. I mean, COVID, everything's been on our radar. How many times has Morbius been on our radar? I sometimes forget that Ben Affleck even played Batman. Like, he's the one that doesn't register for me. Like, I feel like you wouldn't miss him, necessarily. Oh, you're upsetting the Snyder fans, then. You're really triggering them. Well... He never had a solo film. Correct. That's, I think, what sets him apart, is he's always been in the shadow of other heroes. Yeah. And again, I thought it was because nobody really cared. Like, I thought, like, that wasn't working. No one cared about Batman or Ben Affleck? Batfleck. What are we calling it? I feel like <laughs> you can blame Snyder, you can blame Affleck, you can blame the particular movies that featured that Batman, but it just felt like that one wasn't clicking. The one that they've always been trying to get back to is the Nolan-verse. Christopher Nolan created the blueprint, and Zack Snyder tried to follow it and got lost. And so now this seems to be some kind of course correction, if not to get back to Nolan. What I was thinking about a lot was Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. They had such a huge hit taking the DC world to seed. What would it be like to see Batman also equally in that depravity? Pattinson feels like he could actually fight Joaquin by the end of this movie. Yeah, no, I actually have notes like Travis Bickle throughout this film with Batman. I do think that there's an influence there that whether because of the success of the Joker or just because they want to go with something darker, I do feel that Scorsese influence at times. It's a little bit of both. This movie was supposed to be written, directed, and starring Ben Affleck and come out in 2017. But Affleck had some personal problems and didn't really enjoy the making and remaking of Justice League. And he dropped out as director first. Then he said, I just want to focus on the performance. So he stepped out as director. And then he just stepped out as actor. Apparently, Matt Damon said, you're going to drink yourself to death if you put on that bat suit one more time. <laughs> so, Gee. Well, that's a reason not to do it. And again, I don't think anyone's going to miss that performance. I don't think Ben Affleck, his heart didn't seem to be into that character. He doesn't like superheroes. Daredevil, we know this. <laughs> Give it to somebody else. Give it to somebody younger. It would have taken me a long time to get to Robert Pattinson, though. It never occurred to me that the Twilight sparkly vampire was the right fit for this. Yeah, Robert Pattinson, he did that whole Edward sparkly vampire thing, but then he's done, like, Good Time and The Lighthouse, like, these really great dramatic roles. I feel like, go watch Good Time. That's like a crazy 
action film almost of this guy running around trying to save his brother doing like awful things like there's something to him but why would he want this role like this feels like I mean money probably but taking the role of Batman's a huge burden he only got three million for this I mean not that three million is chump change but it's not like what on the back end though (laughs) I think he only got three million for this okay I mean keep in mind he's not a headliner now I'm pretty sure if this movie makes what they're expecting it to make, he'll renegotiate for back end on the sequels. But this all goes to Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves is the one who came in in 2017, well before Joker came out, and petitioned Warner Brothers and fought for this gig, but then had to finish War for the Planet of the Apes before he actually got started on this. And he was making the movie... And thinking about, A, how would it connect to the DCEU, because it was mandated that it had to. And then, yes, Joker's success did help him petition that this should be its own. And he was looking at who would be a good Batman. And the challenge, he said, is finding somebody who hasn't been in Marvel already. (laughs) You want good (laughs) actors, but Marvel Studios can't have snatched them up. Yeah, that's true. You wouldn't want them associated with any other superhero. They were looking at Aaron Taylor Johnson, even though he had been Quicksilver. I don't think anyone remembers it. (laughs) And Kick-Ass. Army Hammer. But I think they're pretty glad they didn't go with him now. (laughs) Yeah. Woof. I'm sure Batman's got someone in his rogue gallery that's a cannibal. They could bring him back. Yeah, he might have been a good Riddler, but maybe not a good Batman. It came down to Nicholas Holt, Hmm. and they said while he was in X-Men, that's not Marvel Studios. So, And he was under so much makeup. Nicholas Holt could make Batman his own, or Robert Pattinson. And Pattinson aced the audition. He had started talking to Matt Reeves about this in 2017 when Matt was just signed on and Warner Brothers wasn't convinced Pattinson was the guy. And Pattinson liked Batman and was really gunning for this role. He auditioned, he did whatever it took to get this role. He said he was trying to stay away from Hollywood movies after Twilight because he wants to have a private life and he doesn't want the paparazzi. He does not want to revisit having the fandom he had in Twilight, but there was something about Batman and this script and working with Matt Reeves that made him decide, as long as you guys put a fly in the bat suit so I can pee, that's the (laughs) one thing that Christian Bale told him he needs to demand. As long as I can pee, I want to be Batman. It's such a curious choice to me because I watched some interviews with him. He's like, oh, when I read this Batman comic or this, I'm like, those are the ones like Matt Reeves shoved in front of you. I don't think you're a regular Batman comic. Maybe he is. Maybe he loves those comics, but he just doesn't come off as that kind of guy. Look, we'll talk about how he does here. I I don't have a problem with his betrayal. It just does seem like a weird choice for the studio to pick him and for him to want this role to me. I recognize I don't know him from the role that everyone else knows him. You will. You will later this year. (laughs) I know. We're going to hit Twilight I'm going to learn a lot. But to me, he's a very ugly character actor with no screen presence who does weird David Cronenberg movies. And and as you mentioned, Jacob, like I'd cast him as Scarecrow, but like I I just, (laughs) in my mind, until I understood what they were going for here, which is kind of like that Batman is a horrific character. He does look like a monster just as much as the villains. I couldn't see it. Thank you. I was watching this movie and I'm like, did girls really swoon over him? He is a weird looking dude. He is certainly not conventionally attractive. When he was in the lighthouse, I'm like, yes, this is you. You are Willem Dafoe in 40 years. (laughs) You're going to look just like that. (laughs) But yeah, I've admired his talent. And again, I thought like, oh, this is a 
cool character actor. I when he got the part, I thought, well, at least it'll be well acted. Like it'll have personality as opposed to Ben Affleck, who yeah, just kind of coasted. I can't think of a Robert Pattinson movie I've seen that I liked, but I've liked him in them, like Tenet and like Good Time. You didn't like Good Time? I don't like that director at all. We've talked about this. He didn't like Uncut Gems either. It stresses him out, I think. (laughs) Okay. Well, agree to disagree. But yeah, I felt like he could do pretty good in here. Were you hungry for Batman? It's been 10 years since the last Batman solo film. When there was just rumors, they're calling it The Batman, which is always a nice throwback to his original, like, the way he was called in the comics his first couple of years back in the 40s. I'm like, okay, they're going for something different. But as we got closer, and then it's like three hours long, I'm like, ugh, another overstuff, overbloated, superhero movie. I don't like it with Marvel anymore. I don't want it with Batman. So, like, I was excited conceptually, like, when the first trailer came out years ago, like, around COVID time when this got pushed the first time, and DC did their little convention online and showed some stuff. And as we got closer, though, like, as I got to the theater, I'm like, uh, let's just try to get through this. I was not excited at all. I have consumed nothing about it. I did not know who was going to be in it. I think people were telling me the Riddler was in it, but every time I saw the trailer, I didn't see it. I knew Catwoman was here. People told me it was going to be the rogues gallery, like 20 villains maybe, but I didn't have any spoilers or any preconceived notions. I went in yesterday, the four o'clock IMAX, half full crowd, and just kind of gave myself to whatever it was. And I got a comic book. Is this thing based on something called The Long Halloween? They want to say that because The Long Halloween is a favored storyline. Look, there's elements like we'll talk about Catwoman and her parentage that comes from The Long Halloween and also Dark Victory, which was kind of a sequel to that. Like The Long Halloween starts with a murder on October 31st. So does this, but there's no holiday killer. Like each issue of that was like on a different holiday where a different member of the mob would die. And it was a detective story. And I think that's why people are comparing this to The Long Halloween because this is a detective story. I would not call this an action movie. Like, if you want those thrills of what Nolan did, I don't think they're really here. There's a couple of scenes, but it's a detective story, and that's what people like. You know, the world's greatest detective. That's what they call Batman. So, I think that's what got people excited about this when they heard that long Halloween comparison is, yeah, they want someone actually looking for clues and solving riddles and doing all that. Do they really want that? And by they, I mean the masses? Or do just the niche comic book diehards really want Sherlock Holmes Batman? Because I would think that the majority of people who go and see The Dark Knight or Batman 89 aren't sitting around wanting Batman with a fingerprint dusting kit and a magnifying glass. I think you're kind of right. I would think the masses would want the action one. But I did see this twice. I went once because I had to see it and, you know, took my notes in the dark and all that. And then um, my wife is like, I want to see it too. I'm like, okay, I didn't think you'd want to see this superhero stuff because you're kind of over them, unless it's Venom, like, or Guardians of the Galaxy. (laughs) Those are the superheroes that she'll watch. Okay. So I'm like, it's not really an action movie, but yeah, let's go see it. And and like, spoiler for her, like, she kind of dug this, even though it's not really an action film. Like, it's not really funny like Guardians or Venom or anything like that, but she was into this film. So I would say I kind of agree with you though, Arnie, that I think for the masses, they would want an action version of this character. Are there toys? Did anybody license figurines and things that children would play with? Yes. And I had the same thought as when they came out with the $200 hot toy for this. I'm like, would people, I mean, obviously people will want it. You want to have every version of the Batmobile. You want to have every outfit of Batman. And yet part of me is like, 
this is the least toyetic superhero movie I can imagine. I agree. Like, I'm watching this. I'm like, this is not toyetic. Nolan is toyetic compared to this. You know what the one food tie-in I found for this and I took part of? Little Caesars. And I don't think that, that yeah. is a big <laughs> tie-in, but they had the Batman calzone. Oh, God. It was like a half pizza, half calzone, kind of shaped like Batman. And there was like a riddle where you could enter a contest. And I solved the riddle, guys. Can I read it to you? Please. What's at the beginning of eating the Batman calzone, the end of dinner time, the beginning of every Batman movie, and the end of the last bite? That's the riddle. Here are your choices now. What? They're giving you options to solve the riddle? Like multiple choice riddle? Okay. A, vengeance. B, intense music. C, the letter E. Or D, film credits. The letter E. Yeah, like, it's the letter E. And I won a free personal pizza. I did not win the grand prize. I didn't get to go to the premiere, but I did get a coupon. (laughs) And kind of a stomach ache. Like, there's a lot of grease on that calzone. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, you can have it. You can have my slice. I did see an ad for that Little Caesars pizza shaped like the Bat logo. And that just looked, even in the promo ads, it looked like the cheese was just dripping off the sides of it. It was. It was super, like, greasy and just falling apart. Not good for my health. Here's what I know. I walked into the IMAX and I heard a little like baby crying. I'm like, oh no. And people brought kids and all of that. And I heard them for about the first 10 minutes and this movie put them to sleep. I was like, oh great. (laughs) Loud and scary that it was. There was so little going on that like those children were like completely silent by the 30 minute mark. I went and saw this twice. And the first time they had a fan screening on Tuesday nights only at IMAX. And... I thought I wanted to see this twice for this review. I knew that going in that it was going to be a three-hour mystery film. So I felt like two viewings is something I should plan for. And so I went Tuesday night. It was a completely sold-out show. And usually when we say sold out, we mean, yeah, but those front rows are empty. The two front rows are open. (laughs) Yeah, no, every seat was sold. You go in to buy a ticket. It said on the marquee, sold out. Not a chair left. There were a lot of Batman cosplayers. <laughs> There's this one guy who was, I dare say, Gemini from the Prince Bat Dance video. Oh, he nice. Was, like in a Batman outfit wow. with Joker makeup. Wow. <laughs> and okay. then there were all these people in bat masks, but I saw it then. And then I went Friday night to a non-IMAX showing. I'll say right now, IMAX, great audio for this, but I tried to pay attention. I don't think a single frame of this movie was formatted for IMAX. So you're not missing any picture if you don't see IMAX. And so I saw it again on a non-IMAX screen. Again, 100% sold out. It was a Friday night and lots of kids. And I'm sitting here coming in knowing what this movie is and I'm like, I don't think you should be bringing the five-year-olds to this. What? Five-year-olds wouldn't enjoy seven? Come on. Mm. But it's expected to make a hundred forty million this weekend. Huge opening. So lots of sold out shows. Yeah, it's almost like pre-COVID times. That's a big hit. And this movie was impacted by COVID. We've talked about that with so many movies we reviewed, mostly last year. Most of them came out last year, and it was like, well, they filmed half of it, then they had to shut down, then they started again. They started filming this in January 2020. They were just doomed. Oh, 
They finally ended up finishing it, like, in late 2020, early 2021. Robert Pattinson caught COVID during this. Okay, so the script was nailed down. That's what I read, because we're famous from 9-11 and all that, but maybe January 6th is my new thing, because I'm like, wow, this is another film, like, somehow tapped into that political discourse, but it was written before all that. It's supposed to come out before all that. Like, it's interesting. We'll get into it. Yeah, Arnie, give us a plot. Robert Pattinson is the Batman, a vigilante hell-bent on unleashing vengeance upon the copious criminal element plaguing Gotham City. Fueled by the pain caused by the murder of his parents, he's been patrolling the streets as Batman for two years, all but abandoning his life as billionaire Bruce Wayne. His actions are controversial, but embraced by some police officers, most notably Lieutenant James Gordon, played by Jeffrey Wright, who even had a spotlight bat signal installed atop the police headquarters to call Batman when help is needed. Though Gordon's relying on the masked vigilante frustrates many other cops, including Gordon's boss, Police Commissioner Pete Savage. His only confidant aware of his dual identity is his butler, Alfred Pennyworth, played by Andy Serkis. Batman is not the only masked man in Gotham. Gotham Mayor Mitchell is murdered by a mysterious assailant who calls himself the Riddler. On the mayor's duct-taped face, the Riddler wrote, No more lies, and at the crime scene, the Riddler leaves a note addressed, quote, To the Batman. Inside the note is a riddle, which leads to a thumb drive with pictures showing the mayor and an unknown woman. The two are coming out of a nightclub owned by mobster Carmine Falcone, played by John Turturro. Batman goes and interrogates Falcone's chief employee, Oz Koppelpot, referred to as the Penguin. Penguin gives up no information, but a club waitress, Selina Kyle, reacts to the photos. Investigating her, Batman realizes she was the girlfriend of the missing woman, whose name was Annika. The two decide to team up and try to find her. Before they do, the Riddler claims his second victim, Commissioner Savage, and another note is left for the Batman. Kyle and Batman discover Savage was taking bribes from Falcone, and so is District Attorney Gil Coulson, who becomes the Riddler's third victim. A secret informant gave Coulson, Savage, and Mayor Mitchell information to bring down mob boss and drug dealer Sal Maroney. With Maroney in jail, Falcone took over all of Maroney's drug operations. This leads Batman to suspect the informant was an employee of Falcone's. Batman suspects the Penguin, but Oz isn't the guy. The Riddler selects his fourth victim, Bruce Wayne. Bruce's father, Thomas, was running for mayor when he was killed. Riddler believes the elder Wayne was corrupt, hiring Falcone to murder a reporter who was going to publish embarrassing things about Thomas's wife, Martha. As Thomas is dead, Riddler tries to kill Bruce with a letter bomb. The letter is opened by Alfred, though, but Alfred survives the explosion. As Bruce, Batman confronts Falcone, and it's confirmed Thomas Wayne asked the mobster to silence the reporter. Alfred, now awake, adds to the tale that Thomas never wanted the reporter killed, and when Thomas threatened to go to the cops and finger Falcone for the murder, Falcone had Thomas and Martha killed. At this point, Selina discovers Falcone killed Annika. She goes to kill Falcone, who happens to be her birth father. Batman stops Selina from murdering Falcone, and Gordon arrests the mobster. As they walk him out of his club, the Riddler kills Falcone with a sniper rifle. The Riddler then goes for a coffee to await his own arrest, and he's revealed as an accountant Edward Nashton, played by Paul Dano. He's committed to Arkham Asylum, where he's visited by Batman, and Nashton reveals he thought he was partnered with Batman. The Riddler was bringing vengeance to these corrupt cops, officials, and mobsters, the same way Batman brings vengeance to the street thugs he pummels. Despite being locked up, Riddler has one more plan to cleanse Gotham. He has parked car bombs along the dam bordering the city. 
When the bombs go off, the city floods. As people seek shelter in Gotham Square Garden, the Riddler has appealed to his fringe online following to storm the stadium with guns in an attempt to kill the new mayor-elect. Batman, aided by Selina, stops the Riddler gang. In the aftermath, Batman realizes that he inspires Gothamites. If he is vengeance, he will bring vengeance. He decides to be more, to be a symbol of hope. Selina leaves town, and in Arkham Asylum, the Riddler makes a friend with what certainly seems to be the Joker, played by Barry Cogan, as credits roll. And as they start, I don't know, they say this soundtrack is from Michael Giancino, but all I ever heard was Ave Maria. <laughs> you know, my wife, when she was watching this, leaned over to me, she's like, is this the Darth Vader theme? I'm like, yeah, it kind of sounds like like this pumping, bassy, like almost a, a requiem, it feels like. Well, there, we got two things going on. We do have Giancino's score that I think you're talking about, Jacob, that consists of bells and just like four repeated notes throughout the entire movie. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, just that's the score. Yep. <laughs> hey, Giacchino, you've done it again. <laughs> it sounds like the death march. I mean, it's a da, 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 da. Or that's the imperial <laughs> march, right? Like one of the two. More bells. But Ave Maria, I was really curious why Reeves chose that Schubert song to play. I mean, it's a song sung at both funerals and weddings. I guess it's supposed to evoke funerals in this. It's supposed to be a symbol of death. You bring up weddings, and it definitely feels like Nashton has a thing for Batman at the end when he's serenading him in Arkham, and he says he wants a friend. It feels like it's more than that, though. Wedding is appropriate. But we open... And I'm really, really, really wondering what movie I'm in. Because you see through binoculars, a ninja. Yes! And a ninja in red. And I'm like, that's a hand ninja from Daredevil (laughs) right there. I'm wondering what the hell's going on. We see a ninja murder a person. I know I'm in a movie full of villains, but what is this ninja? And they fooled me. It's a little kid in a costume, and the dad was playing along with being stabbed, but I thought I saw a ninja murder a person. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I thought that was the opening to this was, I'm like, okay, we're going to be fighting ninjas in this. They're assassinating people. Mm, This ninja looks a little short when the adult walks in, but a tiny ninja that helps with stealth. And I also noticed, like, someone's watching this through binoculars. And, like, is this Batman? Like, why isn't he getting involved? Like, there's a lot of times where I'm like, is that the Batman or the Riddler on that motorcycle or in the shadows? Right. Confusion that's intended. Thematically important that we can't distinguish villain from hero. But there is a murder here. It's not the child is the red ninja. It's, I guess we're calling him the Riddler. There's no Kelly Green. There's not even a whole lot of question marks. Do you want Jim Carrey back in a sequence jumpsuit? (laughs) (laughs) I never want Jim Carrey back. Let me tell you, this is one of those situations where you feel like, how can you possibly make a character this comical serious? I mean, I think of the 60s Riddler, who was basically like a Joker in green question marks. And then I think about Jim Carrey. This is a big, comical character. How are you going to make us take him seriously? Dear God. Reeves does such a great job instantly. First of all, the outfit with that military mask and that trench coat. But this first murder is brutal. Like, R-rated brutal. I was shocked. This is the hardest PG-13 I've seen in a while. I felt the blows to the back of the skull. 
Yeah, I know a lot of people were upset when the rating finally came out for this. We talked about it in our newsletter. Like, why isn't this R-rated? I feel like they did everything that or Reeves did. Like, he wanted an R-rated Batman. I know Warner Brothers didn't because I watched an interview with Colin Farrell who wanted to smoke as the Penguin and they would not let him smoke because kids are going to be watching this. But Reeves wanted an R-rated film. So he probably did that thing where he made it extra gruesome. So, you know, when the MPA gave him their notes, he's able to like just he didn't have to cut everything out. He was contractually obligated for a PG-13. He wouldn't sign on without full creative control, but of course, there's always a few caveats. One of the caveats was test screenings have to go a certain way, and one caveat was it must be PG-13. So all of this, oh, it's going to be rated R, fanboy conjecture, and... They're never going to do that. They, you wouldn't get the $140 million box office with an R-rated Batman. And yet this is the David Fincher Batman movie. Like, this does feel, you mentioned Seven earlier, and certainly he's going to be fighting Fight Club. Like, you get the feeling, like, they're really tapping in to that 90s nihilism that Fincher was so closely associated with. Yeah, not just Seven, but also Zodiac. Like, Riddler is in that jumpsuit, military-looking. There's that whole scene in the Zodiac film where we kind of see this full-body disguise Zodiac killer, and yeah, it makes me think of that. I read that Dano was really into this character. I've only seen Dano in a couple of things, There Will Be Blood and whatnot, but apparently he went pretty method for this role, and he designed most of this costume or helped pick out the helmet by finding it on eBay, and underneath... He wrapped his head in saran wrap. I don't know that I noticed the saran wrap. There's a few times I noticed it around the hair. I think to like, you know, probably the idea was like, you don't want hair follicles falling out as clues. Yeah, his first thought was, I'll shave my entire body of body hair so I don't leave any DNA. Then he decided that might be a bit much and just went with saran wrap. But he almost overheated repeatedly on the set. And I'm like, I don't think I even saw the saran wrap. I noticed it in a few scenes. If he wasn't leaving Riddles, I wouldn't guess that this was the Riddler. And what's kind of cool about this Batman movie is nobody feels the need to call out who's who. I don't think they ever say Catwoman in this movie either. They don't say Catwoman, they do say the Riddler. Yeah, they will call him the Riddler, they'll make references to cats, but that was the other interesting thing. Like, the Riddler, I was trying to think about, like, if you love this Riddler, like, what comic book storyline should you read? There's not a lot of great Riddler ones. That was another thing going into this film, like, what are they going to do with this kind of silly character? Character. I know in the comics, they had him go good for a while, and he was a detective on the Gotham Police Force, and there's a really cool, like, uh, maybe one or two issues called Dark City, where he actually is convinced Cthulhu exists, and he it's this whole Lovecraftian subplot, but it's not about riddles. It, it's a cool, dark story, but, like, yeah, how are you going to mine this character? And, yeah, turning him into the Zodiac Killer, ciphers, secret codes, all of that makes sense. Definitely. And he's scary, Arnie, you're right. This is a brutal way to begin a movie that lets you know that, yeah, we've seen lots of darker versions of Batman, but this is probably the most nihilistic. This is the one you'd leave the kids at home. It's really funny to me because starting with Batman 89, we're like, Batman is so dark. <laughs> and then Nolan gets him, oh my God, Batman is so dark. And now Matt Reeves, we're like, how dark can he get? It's just every time they're trying to out-dark each other. Yeah, I fear for my grandkids' version of Batman. <laughs> yeah, right. He'll jump off the screen and kill you in a hologram. <laughs> But sometimes it can go too far. And case in point, they want to introduce Batman. And he's got a lot of voice over here where he's like, I'm scary. 
I mean, I'm really scary. I mean, I'm so scary. They get scared. I'm like, okay, I get it. (laughs) I kind of get what you're saying. You're exaggerating a little. But what really clicked to me, I said Travis Bickle. Like, we're going to find out, like, this emo Batman, he journals. He writes all this stuff. That's why there's this voiceover. And it does feel like, you know, Travis Bickle, we need the rain to come and wash all this scum off the streets. And, you know, this Batman, I am the shadows. And, yes, I'm scary. And I'm going to get them all. Like, it does feel like that kind of reference. Like, we in America especially love our anti-hero since the 70s, and it's playing into that at the beginning here. I think we got two things going on. First is the journaling, which we're later going to find out the Riddler also journals meticulously. So we're drawing parallels in that these are both masked obsessive crazies. Neither one is necessarily much better than the other. And the second thing is we're really being introduced to the motivation. It's said in this opening monologue, he's only been doing this for two years. So while not exactly Batman year one, We're redoing a Batman Begins type thing. He's not going to have all the gadgets that Batman is known for. He has some gadgets, but he just doesn't have everything. I feel like he has the coolest Bat gadgets. (laughs) Grappling hook and taser is what I noticed. Yeah, there's also a flare somewhere kept on that suit, and it could also jump into a base jumping suit. There's stuff. And the chest emblem is a knife. I mean, those contact lenses with the cameras and, um, like, I thought that stuff was cool. The contact lenses with the cameras bug me because watch how often your eyeballs move. That would be the most spastic camera in the world. There would be no smooth images. Look, yes, I agree. Like, tech, realistic-wise, no. But I liked it, except when they show him taking him out and he's got to touch his eyeball. Even though I wear contacts, I want to see that stuff. <laughs> And it's thematically important because we see a gang of white-faced goons on a train and what are they doing? They're watching footage they took on a cell phone of beating up people in the park. Again, anytime they can, they're going to make that parallel that this Batman's vengeance is identical to the anger that the common man feels striking out at the rich guys. And one thing about his costume, Nolan fetishized all the back hair and, like, how many times you have to test this mask out to make sure it's bulletproof. And, like, he loved all those little details. This one's like, yeah, he's got a suit. He's got some gadgets. You know the mythology. We're just going to move on and accept it. But one thing I did notice, and maybe I, I'm just overthinking things, but, like, he's got this, like, high neck collar on his cowl, which we've yes. never seen that before. And I was trying to think, like, is that from a comic? And all I could think of, there is a Elseworlds, which is basically a what if called Gotham by Gaslight, where it's like, what if Jack the Ripper came to Gotham and Batman had to hunt down Jack the Ripper? And so I'm like, maybe they're alluding to that because this he's going after serial killer. The other thing is later on, we're going to see an extreme close-up of that cowl, and that cowl is stitched together. I think he's wearing, like, a leather rugby helmet or something. Well, it's bulletproof, though. This Batman is bulletproof. I don't know that he ever gets a shot in the head. He's wearing Kevlar body armor, but I don't know that that helmet is going to help him all that much if it's stitched. And it's just worth pointing out that Pattinson is kind of a skinny guy. I mean, they're going to try to do things with the suit to accentuate it. He has a shirtless scene where they go in on the back, but you see the bruises and the scarring start to show. But by and large, he's not as buff as some of the Batmans have been. And I think that maybe the costuming is to help accentuate the scariness. You know, like he's trying to affect 
the idea of being a frightening vision. Ironically, I watched a video where when he got hired, like, they had him try on every Batsuit that they've made from Keaton to Bale. And he's like, you know, the only cow that actually fit me was Clooney's. I'm like, oh, no, is, is that <laughs> was that their design? Like, you, I guess Pattinson has a big head. I read it was Kilmer's outfit that fit him because Kilmer's a tall guy. Well, he said Clooney, it was tight in the crotch. Like, I guess he's taller than Clooney, but he said at least the cow, the headspace, the only one that would fit was Clooney's. He does have a large head. I mean, I will say I noticed in this film that he does look like a cherry tomato on a toothpick, <laughs> but I'm going to say he's a really good Batman. First of all, he's a tall guy, and so what he lacks in muscle, and other than the Batflex suit, I don't really think of any of the Batmen as being jacked, you know? None of them went Henry Cavill for the role or Chris Hemsworth. I mean, Christian Bale had to lose weight because he got too big for the suit. Mm-hmm. But the voice is good. It's not over the top the way I feel Christian Bale went. It's the opposite. He whispers the whole time. It's a gravelly whisper. It's an affected... There's a little gravel in there, yeah. I think he wears the suit well. I think he does the action well in it. I think as Batman... This guy's really good. Yeah, you said this is like year two, which goes along with the Halloween. It's supposed to be in that Frank Miller year one version of Batman's universe, and that was year two. Here he is. He's still starting out like, I feel Batman's going to fail a lot in this film. Like, this feels like a young Batman. So, yeah, that he's tall and wiry and skinny, it kind of feels right. This is him just starting, and he's very brutal here at the beginning, going after this. I called him a Joker gang. I don't know if the Joker exists. We'll see him later on, but these are people painting their faces like the Joker at least. Yeah, but it is this movie's most novel flourish. It's not easy to come up with a new take on Batman, but I think what's novel for me that only knows the characters from movies is this is the one that says he is a private investigator. The cops are literally going to call him to the crime scene to help them do CSI. Well, Jim Gordon is. Yeah. And some of the other cops are in on it. The thing that I can say about this movie I mean, this is a noir detective movie. I almost feel like this could be a spec script that somebody rewrote to add Batman to. It's very much with the voiceover, with its use of shadow, dark and light. It has a femme fatale. It has a twisted plot that goes various places. To me, this is a potboiler noir, and to have a detective in the middle of it makes a lot of sense that he's wearing a bat suit. I love how the cops react to that. I mean, it's actually the most grounded take I can imagine of, this guy is a freak. <laughs> right. And what I thought was interesting while watching this, again, we know Batman, we know his story, but you guys have talked about it like in Harry Potter, like in a movie, like do you establish all the rules in that movie or do you just hope people read the book and you could go off that? I do feel like, no, Batman's just pop culture now. We understand his parents were murdered, that he's a billionaire, like we're not going to go over any of that, but it does feel weird, like if I'm just trying to take this in the movie, here is this guy and he looks very silly in the suit walking around with the police looking for clues. If this is your first Batman, you're as confused as Martinez is. Yes. You're like, what is this rolling in here? But I love it. I just think that it is such a fresh idea that he's going to be able to look at the murdered mayor and say, oh, his thumb was taken off while he was still alive. He knows how to inflict pain and he knows what was done on here. And again, another way that they draw the parallels, he's able to solve the riddles left for him so easily because his mind works the same way as Riddler. Well, that first one was pretty easy. My wife and I guessed that both when we watched 
this the first time. What does a liar do when he's dead? He lies still. Yeah. But what I like is, and it's something I kind of was catching the first time I saw, and it really solidified when I watched it the second time, because this is a three-hour movie. I will say, if you want tight pacing, like, it doesn't need to be three hours. It's a lot of shots of just people looking at things, but what I appreciate, like, you'll see Batman look down at a blood spot, and then one of the detectives will take their camera and, like, notice, oh, he's looking at that. It must be important, and then take a picture. Like, there's a lot of just subtle things like that that show, oh, he is a detective. He's noticing things that the cops don't notice. And if you didn't know the backstory, I think they tell you enough here. Who found this mayor? It was his son. We have that empathetic eye exchange where we know. We know that this Batman is still feeling the pain of losing his parents 20 years ago. The news is pointing out that this murder is happening on the anniversary of Thomas Wayne's execution. A murder that was unsolved. Again, if you'd been asleep and never seen a Batman movie before, there's enough here that you'll just it. You'll figure it out. And I love that this is a story about orphans. Like, everyone has a dead parent, at least one dead parent in this, it feels like, or both of them are dead. This is emo, empathetic Batman. Like, he sees this young boy, and it automatically identifies him, and he's going to try to save him later on. Like, I really like those details. This feels like a humanized version of Batman. Yeah, well, here's what I would say. And what's, again, part of the uniqueness of this. Not only is he a detective, but this is the movie that's going to posit, you know, before Batman has been this tortured orphan because of psychological trauma, he's turned himself into something. In this movie, they say you are your mask. Like, he is the Batman. We don't meet Bruce Wayne that often. We're not going to spend any time getting to know the playboy. We have always said that, though. If you go back to some of our earlier podcasts, I know Jacob and I have both been like, unlike a lot of characters who are the human being and put on a disguise to become someone, Batman is Batman, and the disguise is Bruce Wayne. I think Nolan called that out pretty clearly in his films. What I like in this, though, is just all the unspoken visuals that kind of enforce that. Like, when he takes off the cow, like, look, in all those other Batman movies with George Clooney, Val Kilmer, Michael Keaton, Christian Bale, they were putting black makeup around his eyes so you wouldn't see flesh poking out behind that mask. But when he took off the cow, like, there wouldn't be that black makeup. It's just this beautiful actor. Here, when we see Bruce Wayne, most of the time, he actually puts on the black makeup. And again, feels very emo and goth. But that is telling me, like, even Bruce Wayne, he doesn't see himself as Wayne. He sees himself as Batman. This might be intentional because he is the Batman and not Bruce Wayne. And he masquerades as Bruce Wayne, but not even that often. He tells Alfred that he's not interested in anything Bruce Wayne. But I don't think Pattinson has Bruce Wayne down, you know, for anything I know of Bruce Wayne. We don't see Bruce that often, but when we do, it just doesn't feel like He's changed at all. He's still just skulking around, not talking. You know, Batman doesn't talk that much. The cops are weirded out at the crime scene because he's just walking around, not saying anything, staring at things. And I feel like he's playing Bruce the exact same way. And I always look at actors for superheroes as how do they play the hero and how do they play the other identity? Pattinson's a great Batman. I don't know that I like this, Bruce. That's my point about what's so novel about this. Other movies say there's a duality. And this movie says there is only Batman. There is only vengeance. He doesn't like to be this other thing. He isn't another thing. I think he has a line that says something like, if I'm not continuing my family's philanthropic 
mission in this way, then I don't want to be alive. Like, I mean, he's dedicated to the point that he is the Batman 24-7. You are not to see a Bruce Wayne. And what I think is interesting about where this movie ends and what it portents for sequels is we might actually see a softening of the character over time. He might actually find his humanity by movie three and be like a functional human being. But here, he is completely unable to be anything other than vengeance. And Andy Serkis is Alfred. It is certainly a totally new take on Alfred. Alfred, I've always seen as so buttoned up and proper, and they're always British. Andy Serkis is British, but I feel like he's more that rough and tumble Brit that like would beat up Eggsy in Kingsman versus the proper Brit. <laughs> I think that's because Batfleck doesn't really count. And like Jeremy Irons was that kind of Alfred too with the military training. Like this Alfred will mention that as well. I think he got hired as a bodyguard for Thomas Wayne. I think that's how he started. Like he says later on that like, that was his job to guard his dad and he failed at that. And, and that is a more modern interpretation in the comics. Alfred does have military training. And he does drop the line that after Thomas Wayne died, all Alfred could do was teach Bruce to fight. He wasn't able to be there emotionally, but he provided fighting training. It's interesting. We want to get away from Marvel. Oh, director of Venom. Come on board. Well, and he also has, he was Claw or whatever his name was in Black Panther. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> but Matt Reeves and Andy Serkis have a history from apes. But, and I know I'm supposed to know this because I'm the comic guy, but who is Dory? Like, is this Alfred's wife? I could not find any reference in the comics to a Dory. Yeah, I know in Batman 66, there was Aunt Harriet. I don't know if this is a reference to Aunt Harriet. I thought it was Aunt Harriet on my first viewing. I, I just knew there was some woman around. I thought it was Harriet. The second time, I'm like, Dory? I don't know a Dory, but they should have just called her Harriet if there's no comic reference. Yeah, and it makes it really tough to Google because everything gave me Finding Dory and Finding Nemo from Pixar. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing around this time is we've got three things going on, Stuart. We've got the Michael Giacchino Bells. We've got Ave Maria. And now they're going to bring in Nirvana. Yeah, I love this. Well, this was from the original trailer. Like, yeah, such a good song. Oh, it really is. But the song they picked reminds me a lot of the Smashing Pumpkins used in the Watchmen trailer. So it started giving me a bit of a Zack Snyder Watchmen feel. Yeah, no, there's definitely, I think, allusions to Watchmen in this. And well, I'll call them out. Like, I think they are pulling in all those darker, more mature comics as influences. But yeah, something in the way, like, it is about someone that's mentally ill, living under a bridge, like, eating fish he catches in the wash and everything. Like, it is about someone damaged like Bruce Wayne. And Kurt Cobain. It's a great song. Yeah, again, it speaks to the idea that what you see is what you get here. That this is not about duality at all. This is not about someone who is forced to be Batman. This is someone that is Batman. Pattinson, he is good. It's a difficult acting challenge, what he's been given to do. Be one note and make that interesting. I'm not sure who else. Maybe Johnny Depp is the only other actor I could have thought that would have been able to pull something like this off. And he's too old. But as far as the clues go, maybe seeing it twice would help. I don't know how we get from a cipher that says drive to like them getting a quote unquote thumb drive in the mayor's car. I understand that part. What I don't get, and I saw it twice and I still am hazy. Maybe Arnie captured this. Like, how do they go from he lies still? I get that. That gives you codes to what these different symbols mean to getting that drive off that grid. Like, after two watches, I still didn't quite get how they got there. Well, 
Alfred takes it a step further and is really smart with the cipher and it would have been nice if that was the way to figure it out because he looks at, you know, he lies still, gives them certain letters in that cipher. It's a Rosetta Stone, basically. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I know how that code works. Yeah, and then you you go from there. Yeah, but Alfred was extrapolating to the point that with enough time, I think he could have figured out every symbol to a letter and... Batman says, no, no, take it back to just he lies still. Show me where those letters are on the cipher. Okay. And if you just look at that in a connect the dots kind of way, it's spelled drive. Oh. Okay. I didn't quite get that after two watchings, but that makes sense. And again, three hours long, I feel like there's stuff to in because there are times where it's like just going to jump to a scene. I'm like, you know, thinking back, I'm like, okay, I guess this is how they got there. But yeah, he saw drive. So we're going to go to the mayor's garage and look at his cars. And in the tire of the correct car is a tool that it hit me on the second time. This is the scissors he cut the thumb off with. Yes, exactly. Yes, thumb drive. These are laugh lines, folks. Ha ha ha, thumb drive, he cut off a thumb. Like, yee. I mean, this is, again, more brutal than we normally get. Yeah, you're saying laugh lines. I don't know how many people were laughing in the theater, but I do love that. Like, here's this severed thumb. They set it up earlier that he bled out through his thumb, and and now they have this thumb. And again, I don't know why Batman's looking for a USB. There's little things like that that I didn't quite catch. But yes, I know what a thumb drive is. I thought it was a good joke and gruesome. So, and this thumb drive has photos on it of the mayor and an unknown woman who looks like she's been crying, maybe beaten. Yeah, she looked like she had a black eye to me. (laughs) I couldn't tell if that was mascara or if that was she'd been hit, but they're outside of the Iceberg Lounge, and also in that photo is the penguin, Oz Koppelpot, and I'll just say right now, I don't know why you hire Colin Farrell for this role (laughs) other than he's great in it, but if this movie does not receive the Oscar, not just nominated, but receive the Oscar for best makeup, then I want Robert Pattinson to find every Oscar voter and pummel them like they're the face-painted people in the subway. So my wife and I took this online test, like this was a college university research thing, because she has great facial recognition. We'll be watching a movie, like it'll be some old movie from the 70s with some like modern actor before their time she's like oh that's this person i'm like no it's not look i'm like you're right so we're like we took this study she has great facial recognition skills like up to the level where she should probably work for the fbi like me i'm awful like don't ask me to point anyone out i scored awful on there so i'm like i showed her the trailer i'm like who is that because i'm like if anyone can figure it out it's going to be her she's like i have no idea like she could not figure out it was colin farrell and i told her it blew her mind and i've watched half of the house of gucci it's hard to get through but jared leto is under similar prosthetics but i could still see his face this Colin Farrell. I'd never see him. And I watched an interview and he said it was very freeing. It was like literally wearing a mask where no one knew it was him and he could just do whatever he wanted. Yeah, it's a triumph of both latex and performance coming together. Like you can't compliment one without the other because it's the voice, it's the mannerisms as much as the fact that it doesn't look like the handsome Colin Farrell. The fact that every muscle moves, the eyebrows move when his face moves, like it's amazing. Yeah. Although, I do have to call out, in Daredevil, Ben Affleck would go on to play the Batman, and Bullseye from Daredevil now has gone on to play the Penguin. (laughs) Much better makeup here. That Bullseye makeup was silly. Uh, But, yeah, that performance, the voice that he affects, I mean, it doesn't sound like his American accent, it certainly doesn't sound like his normal Irish (laughs) accent. I mean, this is amazing. I am 
really, really excited. I'm a little bit nervous because I don't really like a lot of these TV spinoffs of movies lately, but I'm excited to see Farrell reprise this role in the Penguin TV series. I want more of him. Yeah, and this is, again, a more modern interpretation of Penguin that's coming from the comics where he's not the silly, I mean, he does kind of waddle. He's kind of got a gimp that makes him look like a penguin at times when he's walking around, but like he doesn't have the umbrella with all the different guns and gases in it. Like <laughs> The modern interpretation Interpretation is the the penguin is a mobster. He, he's a mob boss, and that's definitely what they're going for here. Just as the modern t- interpretation of Catwoman is that she's just a cat burglar who moonlights as a cocktail waitress here, trying to find out uh, info on her missing lesbian lover. But we don't say that. That's too gauche. By modern, I should say in the comics, we're going back to the 80s. This is, especially the beginning of this Catwoman, this is Frank Miller year one, where, yeah, she is bisexual, she has a girlfriend, and yeah, they're not going to come out and say it, but she's going to call that girlfriend baby like it's apparent. On my second viewing, I really caught that she was calling her baby and they were holding hands and they were going to run away together. And it's only because Zoe Kravitz said it in an interview, my character is bisexual, that I was confirmed in my suspicion. I feel like there's some hints in this movie of sexuality. There's that. Earlier, when Riddler murdered the mayor, he puts the duct tape between his legs right at, like, crotch level and starts to pull on the tape. I kind of feel like that's saying he's getting some kind of sexual gratification. Oh, Dano definitely, yeah, has something going on, especially when he has that meeting with Batman later. Yeah, I feel like they're really hinting at some, if not subversive, maybe still somewhat controversial sexual politics here. Again, Warner Brothers wants to sell tickets in the Midwest. Gen Y, I mean, this is so them. We don't identify with the gender. We just identify with what we're attracted to. It's plays for the young people. Later, we're going to get Pattinson making some defund the police kinds of comments. I definitely feel they want to make a youthful Batman, but it's just obscured enough that you might, if you're not tapped into those kinds of things, just think it's a friend, (laughs) her roommate, she's got to pay bills, and so I need my roommate to come back and help me pay the rent. The same people who continually insist to me that those two Jedi were not lovers in Rogue One are not going to believe that Catwoman was sleeping with her roommate girlfriend, but it's there. I thought it was so obvious, but maybe I'm bringing that in from the comics, but I first viewing, I'm like, okay, they're going with their bisexuality. Right. Let me just right now throw down a gauntlet here and say... Kudos to Warner Brothers for realizing Marvel has a lock on what Marvel does, and we're going to do something different. We're going to go really dark and not just fake dark. We're not going to, you know, Batman v Superman, Zack Snyder dark. This is not Snyder dark, which I appreciate. That is what I feared going in three hours of brooding. I don't like that Zack Snyder aesthetic. And so, yes, I'm relieved that is this is a different darkness. And the other thing is, while they may not allow Colin Farrell to have a cigar, which he really, really wanted, (laughs) (laughs) they're not afraid of shying away from sensuality and, to a lesser degree, sexuality. Whereas I feel like in the past five years, Marvel has done everything it can to androgenize its female characters. And here, this is a sexy, bisexual Catwoman. And when we see her in the Iceberg Lounge with those boots and everything, she is a sexy Catwoman. Earlier this year, and by earlier, I mean maybe like three weeks ago, Zoe Kravitz had another film come out, Steven Sodenberg, Kimmy, which I would describe as Gen Y Rear Window. Mm. And it's kind of Sandra Bullock's The Net as well. (laughs) 
now I want to see it. <laughs> but like a more modern take. And, and yeah, she's got the blue hair in this film. She's got the pink hair. So to me, that's just like Gen Y. Like that's how we're identifying them. But yeah, she not the greatest film, but she was really good in it. And I think she's really good in this one as well. She almost didn't do it because she was in X-Men First Class and didn't want to do another superhero thing. But was she? Yeah, she was Angel. Oh, she was Angel, the stripper one, I think? Yep. Okay. (laughs) And I like how here, Batman is following her from the lounge. She goes to the mayor's office. She's a really good burglar. Like Stuart said, they're never going to call her Catwoman, but she's wearing like the ski mask that has two (laughs) almost nipples on the head that look a little bit. They just allude to cat ears. Which they kind of did with Anne Hathaway, too, where she'd flip up her goggles and it would kind of look like cat ears. Like maybe they're just scared of the ghost of Halle Berry. Like they don't want to like fall (laughs) into that trap. So they want to be subtle about it. If you don't want camp, and even the 90s movies, Tim Burton and certainly Schumacher traded in the idea that Danny DeVito would go whack, 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 and be carried around by actual penguins. If you're not doing that, you want to honor the history of the character while grounding it in something that people that don't know that history will appreciate. I think that's a talent. Nolan, I thought, did it well, but this is even more subtle. And you're right. We don't have to do it because this is, what, the umpteenth version of Batman. We, We know this story. This is not something we need labored background details to know. Yeah, and I like the subtleness. And when I say subtleness, especially for a superhero movie, because you usually don't get a lot of subtleness. But like when Batman is in the apartment with Selina and he's like, you got a lot of cats. And she's like, I like strays. Again, this is a story about strays and orphans. And so I just like how all these themes get reinforced in just little ways throughout. Not just that, but Annika was a bit of a stray that she'd taken in, too. And yet, Zoe Kravitz has the moves. When she's fighting Batman and doing those high kicks and everything, I mean, Batman's going to take her down without any problem, but I really thought she might be able to put up a good fight. But I do like that there's only one character dressed like an animal in this entire thing. I mean, when you think of Batman, his rogues gallery does consist of a lot of animal characters, Catwoman, Penguin, and despite having them here, he's the only one dressed up in a Halloween costume, even though we're now on November 1st. Yeah. And you said in the original comic, it was a death on every holiday. Here, Riddler is killing someone every day until election. The idea, Halloween, we killed the mayor. Now we've killed the police commissioner, who's not Gordon. His name, Pete Savage. Yeah, I guess this is before Gordon becomes the police commissioner, which falls in line with like year one, year two. Gordon doesn't start off as the commissioner. He's new to Gotham in year one. So that would make sense here. My question is like in the background, I'm wondering what's going because again, long film. I imagine there's stuff cut. But when they found that thumb drive, like we find that the Riddler encrypted it. So when they open it up, it hacks Gordon's email and sends it out to the press, all these pictures. And and with Savage now, there's like a, a FaceTime video that the news has. I never really get the vibe of and I feel like this is important because it's going to come back at the end like how is Gotham reacting to these news stories now we're going to see there is a radicalized faction but that surprises me at the end because I didn't know what was going on I don't know what the common man this is so much viewed on how is Batman taking this in like I would have liked to seen how Gotham is reacting to if I feel like if Gordon's going to freak out that his email was used to send out these pictures like is there repercussions to that no we're just going to move on the one thing I noticed is on Riddler's Facebook video he seems to be 
getting a lot of likes and comments. That's the only way to know. But he only has 500 followers later on, which seems very low. That's on his 4chan account. That's not on the Facebook videos he makes public. That's over on 4chan or 8chan. Well, I feel like 4chan, he'd have much more than 500 then. That's even more radicalized. But I think the point is, or at least I take the critique of, is that the lack of privacy, like the fact that the news media is running. Essentially, okay, here's a man whose head is caught in a rat trap, is going to get his face eaten off, and we're just going to put that on the nightly news. I mean... Where is the respect? Like, that's so indecent to put a snuff film out there. But this is the world that we lived in. This is the standards to which media has fallen. I mean, we see people die at the hands of cops on news footage all the time now. Like, I, I do feel like this feels modern. It does. I mean, the Breonna Taylor murder, they show the body cam footage right up except for when the trigger is pulled. And the same thing with the Aubrey case. I've seen all of that cell phone footage except for the shooting. Here, that I went with. I had a strange callback, though. I believe it was Return to Sleepaway Camp, that fifth Sleepaway Camp film where... I never thought of that film during this. (laughs) The killer taped a rat cage to somebody's stomach so that the rats would burrow in the stomach and out the head. I think they did it to the Sopranos guy who was in that film. Oh, I, w- I was thinking 1984, because that, that's like a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's from 1984, Arnie. Totalitarian government. Like, that's what we're supposed to be thinking of, not fifth installment of a <laughs> slasher series. <laughs> but I'm also thinking Saw. Yeah. Because these traps feel like Saw traps, and if you go to our review of Seven from our David Fincher series, we said Seven inspired Saw with John Doe's traps being prototypes for the stuff that Jigsaw would do in that horror series, and here, I mean, the rain on the streets, the color grading, we're in a remake of Seven, which hurts me because I then had to realize it's been 26 years since Seven, I guess we're due for a remake. (laughs) Yeah, we're taking that world and we're expanding it and yeah we're trying to see if are there superheroes there i mean the thing that's most famous about seven is that there is no good guy the guy we were following ends up being indicted as being just as sinful as the killer and that's a noir theme i mean i think that's a pretty common theme that there are no heroes in uh worlds like noir creates Yeah, I think that's definitely in this film as well. Like, every crime scene, there is a letter to the Batman. Like, the Riddler knows the Batman's going to show up. And at this one, it's some riddle in Spanish about a rat with wings. I'm like, well, that's a bat. Like, he's going after Batman, right? We're going to find out there's lots of things with wings in this. But I feel like that is when I kind of get, okay, this is where the mystery is. There's about some rat. He's got to bring it into the light. That is going to be the central mystery. Because we know who the killer is. Like, in The Long Halloween, you don't know who the killer is. And it's a murder mystery. Here, we know who the killer is, but now, who is this rat that they're going to try to find throughout the film now? Elrata Alada. This whole thing... I don't get this one. (laughs) ...is... It's Batman 66, right? It must mean a stool pigeon, because a pigeon is a rat with wings. Oh, no. This... Come on. Where's Adam West? (laughs) This one was the worst, and it's because of the L. And I like that Alfred is like, it's not the best Spanish I've ever seen, but it translates to the rat with wings, and... We're going to be following that. He's like, Gordon is going to call Batman and be like, I think the penguin would be the stool pigeon. He'd be the one to rat out. Penguin's got wings. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're trying to figure out what a rat without a wing. I mean, I'm thinking bats. Yes, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) But like, you know, that seemed obvious. Like this whole thing for Act 2, the mystery of who the rat is. I think it's deeply confusing because if you were actually 
spend time thinking about it is kind of dumb. And like, so they want you to not really actively trying to solve that. You're just following the movie into various scenes of depravity. You called it out, Stuart, earlier. I think they're pulling from a lot of different older Batman sources. With this Riddler stuff, they're going with the Joker from The Dark Knight, where, yeah, he's a mastermind that can manipulate things. It's not quite as convincing here for me with some of these clues. I'm thinking, where does the Riddler get these custom-made greeting cards with riddles already typed up in them? I wondered that, too. I thought he was, like, Hallmark's best customer, but I actually read online, each of these cards is a reference to a really deep-cut Batman villain. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that. I don't buy it. Like, it's like the owl and poison ivy. I'm like, "Mm, this is looking for Mephisto in all the Marvel Disney Plus series now. You say that, but I actually thought Selena looked like Poison Ivy when she sent Undercover into 44 Below, the club within the club. She's got the red hair, the tight green dress. I thought they were doing something there. If you don't like this silly mystery of riddles, I like this stuff more with Catwoman, or Selena, I guess. She's not really Catwoman here. But she only cares about Annika. Again, that's humanizing force. Batman is this big, abstract, defeating crime. But Selena, very specific. I want to go after Annika, and so that's why she'll team up with Batman to help find her. But when Batman's getting her ready and giving her the contact lens, and, you know, contact lenses have to be fit, so he must have a whole bunch of these camera contact lenses around. I know. I was- to find one that fits her eye. <laughs> I was wondering that. <laughs> but she says to him, you don't care about me at all, do you? (laughs) Like, I am a tool that you are sending in to get information, but you don't care what happens to me in there. You're sending me in with a camera and a earpiece, and then because of that, he looks really deep in her eyes and is like, I can't see the camera. (laughs) Yeah, no, I like that. Again, as Jacob says, it shows you they both care, but like, she cares on a personal level. He cares on this abstract, I love Gotham City kind of way, but not the individual players. It's a good way of showing the ways that they could be allies and the ways that it's not going to work. This relationship won't end up being a team up forever. And she meets my favorite minor character in this movie, Gil Coulson, who the first time I saw it, I'm like, you named a character Phil Coulson? (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering that with the last name. I'm like, is this a joke on Marvel? It actually, Reeves said he named a couple of the characters after people involved in the Watergate scandal to try to add realism to the politics here. So if you follow the surname Coulson, you'll get to Watergate. But Gil, Phil, I thought they were taking something at Marvel here. But I feel for this DA. I mean, yes, he is a druggie. They don't use crack here. They use drops. And so he's a drop head. That was one little thing that bugged me. I mean, the theme of eyes and being able to see is throughout this. The voyeurism, all of that. It's a Blade Runner thing, right? Like this movie has a huge Blade Runner vibe. Eyes are a metaphor in that movie. It's sort of a carryover. Another noir detective film. Yeah. But I just feel for this guy because he is so put upon, his job is stressing him out, he has to go after work with some of his co-workers, who you never really want to hang out with as your co-workers, <laughs> and he's at this club, and this pretty girl is finally talking to him, and then she's just gonna leave, and he's gonna try to offer her a ride, and she doesn't say a word, jumps in a cab. He just looks so downtrodden that I feel for this guy. I get what you're saying at the same time 
time I feel like if you're a corrupt official, like you're more hardened than this. He's like, I'm so put upon with all these secrets I have to carry about rats. And oh, I really believe that this pretty prostitute, I'm assuming he thinks she's a prostitute, is like really into me and, and like wants to hang out with like, I feel like they want to get some exposition out here and I don't totally buy it. I thought he just thought a hot girl was interested in him and I felt so bad for him because of that. Are we sure she's not a prostitute? I mean, the comment was made that, like, oh, I only work upstairs, but she comes down there and Penguin's like, I haven't seen you in a while. I do feel like, yes, this is what you do when you come down to this level, and she's had to do things. Again, this is an edgy characterization. We saw earlier, like, Batman goes to talk to the Penguin down there, and she walks in, and it looks like just buys some drugs, so I'm assuming that's what he's referring to, but again, in Frank Miller's year one, like, definitely a prostitute. Yeah. I thought she was... An in-club drug mule, like she's a waitress, but she's not going to bring you your drinks. She's going to take your money and then bring you the drops. And she had to go to Penguin every time for the drops. I guess he's really a hands-on micromanager. Realizing that those are called the drops, is that why that guy who robs a cashier early on in the film, like, has a drop? It looks like a lemon drop mask, but it's green, like a lime or something. I thought he was a bulb of garlic. I don't know, but <laughs> <A bulb> maybe. <laughs> garlic? <laughs> It did remind me of Parappa the Rapper. Yes. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, some of the masks and costumes. uh, It'd be interesting to hear some of the DVD commentary about what they were thinking. But I see themes here. I see them working a lot here. So, yeah, there's probably a meaning to all of this little detail that I haven't worked out yet One viewing. And in this club, we're going to find out that there's some relationship between Falcone and Selina, and she gets pissed off when Batman pushes it and just takes out the contact lens. She's done. Well, it feels like she's an ex-client, maybe an ex-lover, like the way he talks to her, because he doesn't know. Definitely not an ex-lover. She knows. (laughs) Yeah, but he doesn't know at this point, right? Because she's going to reveal it later on, and he seems surprised. Yeah, he remembers from seeing her down here before, which I get, again, I think that's code for you are a sex worker for me and maybe he is interested in her but yes she knows exactly who he is and it's not the issue right now she's just trying to find her lover but yeah there's hard feelings there when she steals from him she doesn't call it stealing it's I'm owed this you killed my mother but here we'll see the next victim with that not Phil Coulson, but Gil Coulson, like, he gets rejected and gets in his car, and again, I love, like, the little things that they pick up. He notices the headrest for his seat is on the chair, and is like, oh shit, and turns around and looks behind him. I thought that might be a reference to this meme going around, where it's The Rock driving a car with the little girl in the back seat. Yes, I'm from... Escape from Witch Mountain, I know the meme. And it's like, you know what I hate about movies? It's that they always remove the headrest so you can see the character better. And so I like that they put the headrest in the car as if to like say, cars do have headrests, (laughs) but Riddler removed this one so he can attack from behind. And I thought he was being killed, but then you're going to hear Riddler say, stop squirming or something like that. And this red and blue light flashing. And it makes me think, of course, of police cars to see red and blue lights like that. And that's what it looks like. They'll pull out and you'll see this car under a bridge or something or overpass. Yeah, it just looks like a police car at that point. Yeah, and this is the character that's, yeah, basically going to ride in uh, when they're holding the funeral for the mayor and create the new riddle 
for Batman to solve. I like this scene for setting up a relationship between the Waynes and Falcone, though. This is the first time we're really seeing John Turturro as Falcone, the big mob boss. And I don't know if Batman, and I'm just going to call him Batman because there is no Bruce. <laughs> I only say that so people don't think Batman showed up in his costume to this funeral. <laughs> yeah, it is Bruce in, yeah, presentation. It's Batman and Bruce drag. <laughs> and... He sees Falcone with a woman. Does he think it's Annika? Does he think it's Selena? Either way, he walks up there and we're going to find out Bruce's dad saved Falcone's life. And Falcone implies that it's because he and Thomas were kind of buds. And Bruce Wayne's like, he's just a doctor. He took the Hippocratic Oath. He didn't like you. And even the first time I saw this, when Falcone is like, Hippocratic Oath, I'm like, ah, Hippocratic Oath, Hippocrat. There's something about Thomas that's going to come out, that he wasn't all that we thought he was. Correct. This is the first time we're learning that Thomas was a good guy. Yeah, we knew he was a mayoral candidate 20 years ago and died. It was a murder, and now we're seeing mob ties. Hmm, what does that mean? Particularly in a world this corrupt, it's not hard to extrapolate. The Waynes are dirty. It means he's a politician. I believe every politician has mob ties. Though this is where I start getting concerned because like Thomas Wayne in the comics and in the, the typical lore was a good guy. He, he was a good dad, cared for his son, tried to help Gotham. And then after Todd Phillips, the Joker, like the worst Thomas Wayne ever in that film. I'm like, I guess this is the modern take where you got to make everyone like awful and come from corruption. But they're going to toy with that. There's going to be more nuance. We'll find out, I guess. I'll even say I was looking at Gordon. Like, Gordon was like, oh, I was involved in that case back then. Like, I was like, mmm, bad. Like, I th I was pretty convinced that we were going to see some typically heroic characters be shamed. But it hasn't happened in this film. So, question about this, because the first time, again... There's a lot to take in, so I didn't quite catch it the second time I'm paying more attention because I know where this story's going. So we have this riddle, bring the rat into the light, and it's about getting Falcone out into the present so he could be killed. But Falcone is going to show up at this funeral, and I assume the Riddler is there. We're going to see someone backlit, like, watching all this happen. I don't know if he wanted to kill other people before he got to the rat, because they'll even talk... Falcone and Bruce Wayne about how they're both recluses and they never go out and here they are for once. I don't know why the Riddler wouldn't kill him at this point unless he just didn't know he was going to show up. Well, he's kind of following this MO of I kill someone every day. But yes, it would have been a perfect opportunity to take out a lot of people that are in power that are corrupt attending this funeral. But maybe that's what the car was supposed to do. When we hear it coming, it's just a, some distant screams and some thumps. But it's pretty shocking when Gil blows in here. It interrupts Ave Maria. Yeah, right. <laughs> and again, we see Batman as Bruce Wayne. He, he's out of costume. And what does he do? He goes to save that orphan. Like, that is his concern, is running towards the mayor's son and saving him from that car. But I like this scene when Gil Coulson comes out and this one screams saw to me with that collar around his neck. No, 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 no. This is real life. I don't know if you know about this case. A guy robbed a bank with a bomb around his neck saying some people kidnapped him and put that on there and said, we will blow you up if you don't rob this bank. And to this day, they're not sure if he was in on it or not. If that was a cover story, if he, there's a whole documentary about it. It's fascinating. Evil genius. Yeah, on Netflix. Saw, believe it or not, not very creative. <laughs> uh, <laughs> took all of that from actual history. 
Wow. And then when they send in the bomb droid, whatever you call those little robots with the cameras on, you send into bomb scenes. And Batman's just going to walk in now in full Batman regalia, not afraid of the bomb. The phone's been ringing. A phone is attached. Yeah, how long has the Riddler been trying to call? Like, I wonder how long did it take for Bruce? Did he bring his Batman outfit? Did he have to go home and change and come back? That phone starts ringing right away. Hey, good battery life. I want that phone. (laughs) Three riddles. Really, one riddle. The first one was super easy. My wife leans over. She's like, it's justice. It's not super easy. It was just in the trailer. Like, that. I knew it only because (laughs) they told us. The next one is less a riddle and more an accusation. You've been taking bribes. How much? Uh Uh-huh. 10,000 sounds low. It does. <laughs> but it's 10000 a month in exchange. It's like a subscription service. Instead of like pay-per-view, it's subscribing to the channel for 10000 a month and getting as many as you want there. And third one, since he's live streaming this, everyone can find out who is the rat. It's interesting that Gil would rather die than reveal the name knowing that those mobsters would go and kill his family. It was a way of preserving. You realize that he had some ethics. I believed that from the way he really was seeming put upon at the club. This guy got in over his head, no pun intended, with the bomb there. And it's hard to say what, you know, I put myself in that situation. What would you do? Would you name the rat because you're about to die? Or could you consider it noble because if you name the rat, then not just you will die, but your family will die? Not that he seemed too loyal to that wife (laughs) when (laughs) Selena was around. And Batman takes a hit from, he's standing right next to the bomb, so he's going to wake up at the police station, and they're there trying to take off his mask. Yeah, this is where things, like, are disorienting to me at times. Like, we'll just cut, and again, was there some scene in between there that they just had to get out because this movie was too long? But yeah, they're just all of a sudden at the police station. I'm like, well, they didn't try to take his mask off before that? They didn't take him to the hospital, though. I mean, I think it's telling that they see this guy as, or at least some of them, Gordon's the only one protecting him here, and Gordon has to stage a breakout in order to get Batman back on the case. I do like later on, he's going to be like, you could have pulled that punch because he tells Batman to punch him. And Batman's like, I did. This is where I'm saying like, this is not an action film. Like we'll have this big escape scene. He'll punch Gordon and go out the door and have to put on his squirrel suit to glide through Gotham. But I feel like so much of that scene and like, well, yeah, we'll get some long shots where we see some stuntman gliding through, or maybe it's just a CGI insert. I don't know. But like most of it is tight facial shots of like they threw a a GoPro and like that's what they're showing. I I don't feel like action is the emphasis of this film. But I love it. I love the shots of that. I love the feeling. It's so visceral when he jumps off the building. I'm sure it's CGI, but it really seemed real. And to see that and see the building go away. And I love the look, you know, Batman's going to tell Alfred, I thought I conquered fear. But when he gets at the top of the roof and is almost about to jump, he's fucking scared. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorite moments. Again, you realize that this is a human being in there, that he isn't this badass. You know, like it is an affectation. Like he has to pretend to be, I'm the shadows, all of that crap. I'm like, yeah, it's crap. You're scared as hell. <laughs> And when he jumps, I'm like, okay, this is, you know, Nolan did the base jumping scene too, one of the best scenes in Dark Knight. Here, he's base jumping, and I'm like, okay, now we have a Batman cool scene. We haven't really had him. We've had him beat people up. That was like the first 10 minutes of the film. That was a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) And he hits the parachute 
and it hits the bridge and he bounces off a truck and hits the ground and rolls. And you guys know, I mean, listeners may not know because I, we all are here to talk and so we talk on the show, but I don't cheer in movies. I don't clap in movies. I find people who applaud the projection as weird. And yet unbidden in this scene, I actually go, oh shit. <laughs> couldn't it was just an exclamation of how hard he hit the ground yeah it's wind inducing this movie is painful and you're right this is not adrenaline this is not about pumping you up and making you go woohoo you know fist pump for batman even the action scenes are about fear and that's interesting like it feels like a subtle adjustment to what we've seen before it does feel sort of like a nolan movie but twisted to an even darker degree i would have never believed christian bale was scared of anything like he is such the tough guy that gravelly voice the amount of muscle he put on for that film like yeah this is my chemical romance batman not pantera batman like someone that's tough Agreed. And so now they're going to go after the penguin. That Maybe a rat with wings is a penguin, and Batman has followed him to some Gotham recycling center that actually is a drug lab. Yeah, you'll notice a lot of times when they go to these dilapidated places in Gotham, renewal project. That's always in the background, this Gotham renewal, and we'll see those signs. And it's always at the worst places. And... He's with Gordon again. I'm like, wow, after running from the cops like that, you're teaming up with the cops again super quick. Well, and I do like this scene. Like, I think Farrell's funny here. What is this? Good cop, batshit cop? <laughs> and I'll say one complaint I have about this film is the character of Selena. She feels very choppy. Like, she'll drop out of the film for half an hour and then just pop back up again. And this happens repeatedly where her inclusion feels strange. But Gordon and Batman probably probably wouldn't have had much problem getting the penguin if she hadn't shown up to steal penguin's money and find Annika dead in his trunk. Yeah, she just happens to be dead in the trunk. Like, that felt weird to me, too. Yeah, they wanted to resolve that. Like, the, again, sometimes the mysteries here are, are just sloppy, but they cover it well because everything looks so majestic. It's such an impressive looking movie. You're so in awe. It denounces its importance all the time that sometimes you, you know, you overlook that it's self-importance. You overlook the pretension of it. But here we finally get the Batmobile and it does strike me as every time we get a new Batman, they've got to wait halfway through the movie before they'll actually show the Batmobile. I think he stole this from Dom Toretto's garage though. No, he, this is straight from the 70s. This is my favorite Batmobile in the 70s. He just drove a muscle car that had like a bat head painted on the hood of it. Like, yeah, forget the tanks, forget whatever those phallic things were in, in Burton and Schumacher's Batman films. Just give him a muscle car. Like, I love that it's just a motorcycle and a muscle car. That's why this is the least toyetic Batman. Like, yeah, just buy a Hot Wheels car and you have the Batmobile. But it shoots uh, flames out the back like the 66 one did. It's got a jet engine on the back of that <laughs> yeah it's impressive i mean again and scary i mean i just want to emphasize not adrenaline you're not like woohoo we're riding the batmobile we have this really intense scene where they're driving against the flow of traffic on the freeway knocking over semis and what have you and that roar of that engine i mean even when it starts up like terrifying yeah you see the penguin like freaking out as batman just sits in that car revving it Matt Reeves went to a reference that I love, Christine. He was thinking Carpenter and the way that Christine was like a horror thing and the car on fire and still coming after you. He took some of that imagery here. I think it really worked. 
But we have a car chase scene, perhaps the biggest action set piece in this movie. It can't live up to the Dark Knight's car chase. I'm sorry. That's just one of the best of all time. That's the thing. This is not an action film. So many of the angles, again, close-ups of the Penguin driving, close-ups of Batman, like, we'll mount a GoPro on the side of the car, just have this weird angle. Yeah, it does not hold up to what Nolan did in the Dark Knight with that car chase. If you want action Batman, go to the Dark Knight. This is not the action film. Like, this is about brooding people reflecting on who they are and who they're going to be. And yeah, action is secondary. And I also feel like Batman's super reckless here. Maybe that's part of his character. That is his character arc. Like there are semis exploding and we don't see what the fallout is. Again, in any other Batman film, we'd have some news thing like people turning against Batman because he caused this explosion. No, here it's just a really badass scene of him flying through flames and then walking up to the penguin upside down. They do make it clear the penguin caused the accident. But yes, a lot of people died because Batman was chasing the penguin. I think that's intentional. Again, where this movie is leading, we'll get to the climax, is him renouncing the idea that he should use fear as a tool. Like, he essentially says, I need to be more of a humanitarian. What I'm doing in the middle of this movie is not helpful. I agree that that is the arc and that's where it's going. I just feel like, again, most audiences are coming here for a Batman movie. They want to see Batarangs and kicks and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if they're going to really capture this moment. Like, oh, this is not a cheer moment. This is horrific that Batman is complicit in people dying, innocent people dying here. Like, And again, the movie's not going to stop to reflect on that at all either. That's why I appreciated coming back and seeing this a second time because I'm like, okay, now that I know where this is going, I could pick up on all these little things as I watch it the second time. But when you think about it, this car chase was completely superfluous and granted nothing. Penguin gives them nothing. Penguin isn't the rat. He has nothing. Yeah, (laughs) this was all to get absolutely nothing other than Penguin going like, is this Riddler an idiot? It's La Rada Atada. No, there's something else there too. This is where we finally learn, and again, it's kind of frustrating because Maroney is a character- Never seen. (laughs) A rival mobster we never meet and was at least busted. This is where we learn- that rather than shutting down his drops operation, the city said, we can profit from this. All these people that are being killed are people that allowed the drugs to go on under Falcone. I agree with you, Artie. Like, you could probably cut this and you wouldn't miss that much. You could solve this riddle some other way. But I do think it's important to show, like, Batman kind of being a failure throughout this at the beginning. Like, that speaks to his character arc. And I don't know if you fully get that the first time around. At least I didn't because I was expecting Nolan. Batman, a comic book Batman, action Batman. A hero. And this is much more reflective. I mean, even the beginning of this, they're like, we're DC heroes. This is actually someone that realizes to be heroic is to not behave this way. When Batman is walking towards the penguin ups- and penguins upside down because his car rolled and Batman's walking away from the fire in the rain. Gorgeous shot. <laughs> My wife gasped at that shot like she loved it. Again, I was thinking about Blade Runner. That's a good thing, though. No, yeah, as a compliment. Very few movies look as good as Blade Runner, and this movie does. And this is the forehead slapping riddle. Is URL Rada Atada. It means type in the URL Rada Atada. <laughs> and Batman has this like laptop there, so he's able to. But yeah, this is like that drive riddle where I'm like, wait, what's the logic? How did he get there? Bring in Adam West to explain it to me, because that's what this logic is. I liked that he had his laptop in an otter box. Like he knows <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this thing's gonna take some beatings. <laughs> but yeah, this website is real. You can go to this website and the Riddler is going to ask you riddles 
I don't know what kind of coding is involved, but it will give you riddles and it knows if you take too long, it's like, hey, are you trying to look this up? Or if you close the browser to do a Google search for the answer on another browser, like it knows and it will call you out for that. Nah, I could program that. <laughs> I do wonder, though, much like you asked how long or how many times did the Riddler have to dial that phone? <laughs> how long was the Riddler sitting by that computer like, Batman, you're smarter than this. Get to your computer. How I just have to wait for you in this chat room. I think he's just spending a lot of time on 4chan, maybe. So he's just always online, ready to get that notification. <laughs> the point is, this is where Batman realizes that Bruce Wayne is the next target. He's given a riddle that has something to do with seeds and weeds and whatever. Winds up at an orphanage. And this is when he knows, oh, a new day, and this is hurtful. Not only is someone trying to kill my alter ego, but they're implying through the sins of my father, I'm corrupt too. I'm somehow benefiting from this drug operation. Yeah, he'll find some footage. I think this is where we get more backstory about Thomas Wayne and this renewal fund, like this old orphanage that's, what, on the corner of Wayne Properties? It was a Wayne orphanage that went into disrepair, I guess, because the renewal fund just became this crushed slush fund. But yeah, there's videos going there, Sins of the Father, and then we're, we're going to get a Watchmen reference. I, this has got to be a Watchmen thing. We'll, we're going to cut to Alfred. He's opening up the mail, and Batman's trying to call him. I don't know why Alfred doesn't have a cell phone. He's calling a landline for some reason that's just going to be ringing. But we're going to find out, like, that explosion took place an hour earlier. I feel like that the end of Watchmen, like, you think I'm going to monologue and give you a chance to stop me? No, I sent the alien 37 minutes ago. Like, it's already done. Like, I do like that fake out they do here. You think he's going to save the day, but no, he's already lost. Again, useless Batman. Like, he's learning that he can't save everyone. But they kind of cheat because they he didn't die. They probably should have killed Alfred, but he'll just spend the rest of the movie in the bed. No, yeah, I agree. Doesn't even look that badly burned. He wanted to do the Gary Oldman thing in Dark Knight Rises where he just spends the whole time in a hospital bed. Easy acting. I was thinking a lot about Maggie Gyllenhaal. Like, you want to give it the weight of actually loss. You know, you want to take out Alfred, I think, in this moment. I will say this is where... The first time I made assumptions from this scene, we'll see Alfred opening up this package. It's to Bruce Wayne. There's a letter to the Batman. And so I assumed, oh, the Riddler knows who Batman is. He knows who Bruce Wayne is, like his secret identity. But no, he was always leaving notes for the Batman. This isn't a fireproof card because they know the explosion's going to go off and they got to save it for when Batman gets there to investigate. But the first time I watched this, I'm like, oh, the Riddler definitely knows who Batman is. We'll get there. I, I still have a question mark on that. Mm-hmm. Agreed. That is a lingering curiosity. But Bruce Wayne is going to investigate this Thomas Wayne bit. And we have a recurring gag that I actually really like. Batman went to that club earlier, knocked on the door. Do you know who I am? And the twin's like, I have an idea. Closes the door. Then a second twin bodyguard shows up. And they like... Don't let him in. And he goes into this big fight. Now he shows up as Bruce Wayne, knocks on the door. Do you know who I am? Uh, I have an idea. Closes the door, opens the door. There's the two twins again. They're like, crap, it is him. Let him in. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of like back and forth here. This is where I feel like the movie goes longer than it should. We're nearing the second hour. There's another hour to go. And it just takes so long to like, he goes to Falcone to basically confirm what he's already heard, that his father was dirty. And then, you know, a lot of a spin on that. 
You know, and I get metaphorically, that's where we are right now. Our culture is America, the things we've done. We can't be proud of how we got here. And coming to grips with that is probably an important thing to do if you're appealing to Gen Y. One of the big shocks when we find out this full backstory is that not what Martha's first name is. That's for Batman v Superman. That's the big surprise that their moms are both named Martha. But her last name, she's in Arkham. I'm like, that had to be made up for this. I had to do research because that is not in the DC universe that Martha Wayne was an Arkham who built the asylum and all that. That is from Earth One, which was kind of like DC's, we're going to do the Ultimates, where if you're a new reader, like we're going to put out original graphic novels that are just modern versions where they're brand new superheroes. And I guess that was a revelation in that Batman Earth One in one of those volumes. I only ever read the first one. There's been two other ones, but that was a reveal there. So I'm like, is this Earth One Batman? Is is that how we could have Batfleck and Robert Pattinson? Like they're all going to come together, I guess, in the Flash, apparently. Mm. Well, I was also thinking about the fact that they're talking about it would be a scandal for a politician to find out that his wife had had mental illness. I'm like, what year is this? Look at the footage on the on the announcement video. 2001? Really? I was feeling hurtful, like that they're portraying that time was with some dark ages where we couldn't handle that. Today is the same way. Yeah, I think 2001, it might have been a scandal. Today, you know, you could grab someone by the pussy. No one cares. You're going to be president. Like, there is no scandals anymore, I think. You can grab by the pussy, but if you have to take antidepressants, you're done for still. It is still stigmatized to hell. The other thing that's interesting in this backstory is this journalist who is going to reveal the story, Edward Elliott. Again, I'm always looking, who are these characters from the comics? What's the inspiration? There is a Thomas Elliott, a.k.a. Hush, who's a villain. It's a big Batman storyline. And the son of this Edward Elliott would be around the same, if he has a son, would be around the same age as Batman. So I'm wondering if that's a Hush reference for all the comic book nerds out there. I just wanted to call it out. But this, again, I wish it were cleaner here. Why, why can't we just say... That Thomas was corrupt. Thomas did have this journalist executed. And I don't know if it should be for this phony, like, well, he was just trying to protect your mom for the mental illness thing. Like, why, why couldn't he be bad if that's truly the legacy that Bruce is trying to run from? I'm a little annoyed that, again, I'm thinking about Todd Phillips, the Joker, where I'm like, okay, Batman's actually this corrupt guy. Now, they are going to call him out as privilege in this. Like, this is the woke Batman film where he's going to be called out as a white, privileged, rich guy. That's probably appropriate. But the problem for me is is that we get this story about Thomas Wayne and then like a scene later, Alfred's going to go, no, that's actually wrong. It's this. Like, let us stew. Let us have to wrestle with that revelation for a little bit. You think that's a studio saying you are not doing this? We are not getting into this cultural war? Because that's what it really is. It's the debate about teaching slavery. It's the, you know, debate about what we did to the Indians. I think that stuff is in here. Like, I think this is a woke Batman. Like, that is part of his arc is Catwoman making him woke. Yeah, right. But... According to what I read, I mean, and according to what Reeves said, he had full control over this, except for the cigarettes thing. So I don't know that they would have mandated that again. The test screenings for this movie were four hours long. So there could have been some time we spent stewing on it where we didn't go straight from Falcone, who pretty much in my mind said, Thomas Wayne said, put the fear of God in him and we killed him. I didn't hear Falcone even say Thomas Wayne told us to kill him. He specifically said, put the fear of God in him. I felt bad for Alfred because he's been in a coma for like a full day and he's finally waking up out of the coma. Bruce is sitting there and his first words are, you lied to me, Alfred. Not, how do you feel? Not, welcome back. Not, I'm sorry about the explosion. You lied to me, Alfred. <laughs> 
I think all this is clumsy, is what I'm saying. I'm feeling the movie's length. I feel like this is where you just cut a lot of this garbage out and get to the heart of it, which is that Thomas Wayne was corrupt and had a guy killed. He was a dirty politician. Make it that simple. Don't try to, like, parse this out here with people talking in deathbeds and what have you, and pool tables. It's fine if they don't want to make an action movie, but we don't want to make a movie that is grinding to a halt. And that's kind of what I feel like it's doing here when they got to find Kinsler and beat more information out of him. Look, they gotta have Batman bring the rat into the light. That is the Riddler's whole plan, so I feel like giving him this motivation to go after Falcone when Alfred's like, no, that's who really killed your parents, and Batman's gonna have this meeting with Catwoman. She's caught one of these corrupt cops. We've seen him at the club, and she wants to shoot him, and this is where Batman, like, no, we don't kill. They're gonna have to punctuate. These are really evil men. Like, Annika left me a message, and let's listen to it to see how bad these guys really are. Like, I get it, they're corrupt. I don't know if I need every little detail there. And again, Catwoman showing up after being gone for like an hour. Yeah. I don't think that's a problem for me. I mean, I don't want it to be a team-up movie where she's Robin. She's got her own agenda, and sometimes that brings her to Batman, and sometimes it doesn't. I think she's in this movie enough. And I do think they have chemistry. Like, when she kisses him and all of that, like, I feel it. I think that that's good. Yeah, that is the moment, that scene on the rooftop where she's talking about, this is still about Annika, and Batman's basically like, well, she should pull herself up on the bootstrap, and she's like, oh, you're a rich guy. Like, I like these moments. I like Catwoman is able to call him out. Because I, you know, back in, gosh, 2009, 2010, when I was going to Comic-Con, Grant Morrison was doing Batman. And, like, that was one of the things he called out when the, the panels. He's like, I feel really uncomfortable about having a billionaire beat up working class people that are down on their luck. And so maybe they're mugging someone. And that really directed his run on Batman. Like, I want him fighting, like, dark side and things that are crazy. Because that's what billionaires should be fighting, not the common man. Man, and I do feel like that is some of the commentary here in this Batman is why beat up these little people? Like, do something with your money. Actually help people. When he meets the mayoral candidate, the one that I think is going to win by default, right? Yes, that's what I assume. <laughs> her competition is dead. She's at the funeral. She's got to be thinking the election's going to go her way. But that's her point. Is like, your family is known for being philanthropists. Why aren't you doing this? He can't tell her that to him, he is a philanthropist by being Batman. She calls out like this renewal fund, like nothing's been done with it. And I get that. Like, let's do something about homelessness. It is crazy here in LA. A year ago, we had a homeless camp almost across the street from us. There's a park and like it became filled with tents. And here's the thing, like it just came out here in LA. They're trying to build housing for the homeless. It's coming out to $900,000 a studio apartment for the Like someone is getting paid off. There is corruption and we are not helping the people we need to help because we have corrupt politicians. And so, yeah, I like that. This is calling all that out. Yeah, we could have all the money in the world, but if the politicians are corrupt, that's why this mayor's like this renewal fund is no good. Like we actually have to do something to help people. And will she be a helper? Again, I thought cynically, you know, because her name is real and there's like codes about like, you know, the real change that's coming and all that. I'm like, she's going to be proven to be just as bad. Like, that'll be the final twist is that she is the one that was the rat or had the guy killed to take over. I mean, again, when you create a vision this cynical, it becomes a challenge really to come back and say, but wait, no, there are good guys. I think it's hard to see that uh, in this vision. But this is where we get Batman. He's going back to the club. Like, we're going to get, again, an action scene, at least for this movie. It's really beautifully shot. Selena's going after Falcone at the same time. She's revealed that that's her father, that he killed her mother. And Batman's going in covertly. Like, I love that he rides a motorcycle as, like, a regular dude, except with the black makeup around his eyes. And then, like, changes into his outfit after he cuts the lights and everything. How did that outfit fit in that backpack? (laughs) 
<laughs> I think maybe he has the suit on and then just puts on the cowl and the cape. <laughs> But it's, again, the payoff of the joke. Now he knocks on the door. The twin comes out. Nobody's there. And then he walks in behind the twin and locks the door. It's not really an action scene, but it's a good scene. Yeah, no, it's very artistically shot. Like, again, this is a character that's in the shadows. So the only lighting is gunfire. And look, if I'm a bad guy, I'm just going to raise my gun like two degrees up so I could hit him in the face. Like, he has an open part of his face that you could shoot. But they're only going to hit that costume. And artistically, it looks beautiful. It does. This whole film looks beautiful. And Falcone's method of killing people is strangulation. We heard a voicemail. Yeah, there's a gun in the room, but he's going to grab a cane. Pool cue. <laughs> it's Chekhov's pool cue from earlier. Oh, is that what that was? Okay. <laughs> yeah. But we heard on the voicemail that he strangled Annika. We find out when he's strangling Selena, I have to do this like I did to your mother. Yeah, and it should be said that voicemail that was recorded that's been given to the press, and they're just playing that too. Again, like, your kids should not be watching the news in Gotham. It's horrific. Mm -hmm. The level of exploitation is just, it's everywhere. You're kind of with Selena that this can't be saved. You're kind of with the idea that you just find your lover and then get the hell out of town, because trying to bring justice to this town is a losing battle. I mean, we see Batman try to bring justice. He brings the rat into the light and there is no justice. The rat gets murdered. He gets shot. We think it's the penguin. Like this confused me too the first time I saw it. I'm like, did his gun go off? And the penguin's saying, I didn't shoot. Yes. Arnie's plot summary. Yeah. I did not understand that the penguin didn't shoot him. Yeah, the Penguin, I think it's ballsy to pull out a gun in front of all the good all cops, cops in town. <laughs> but he is screaming, I didn't shoot, I didn't shoot. And you see the sniper rifle in the window there. Okay. Oh, this movie has a lot going on always. And even though it's a slow pace, so much information, I'm sure I missed a lot. No, I, I'm there with you, Stuart, on that part. Like, the second time it clicked, like, what was going on, but I was very confused the first time. And my question for you guys, did the Riddler mean to get caught? Like, he did leave a note saying, I'll see you in hell, so I guess he wanted to go to Arkham. Yes! If you haven't thought Seven yet, this is the equivalent of John Doe walking into the police station and screaming, Detective! Right. Yeah. I mean, he's sitting there just waiting for the arrest. I mean, he's got a question mark in his latte foam. Yeah. And he's a nerdy guy, kind of like John Doe was, a small, unassuming guy. Yeah, Dano always has a look to him. It doesn't surprise me, like, if he goes method for his films, because he just seems like one of those actors. But he does feel like very 70s cult leader Jim Jones, David Koresh from Waco, which that was the 90s. But he's just, he's kind of got that look with those round glasses and just so unassuming looking, like a lot of serial killers end up looking. I was thinking about Malcolm McDowell, Clockwork Orange. Like, they're just... When they got his face down in the coffee shop and he's grinning and screaming and all of that, like, yeah, intense. He's bringing it in a way that I have, I've, many have tried, Jack Nicholson, but few have really channeled the face of real rage and scariness the way that Dano does. Yeah, I would say Heath Ledger is the only other one that has gotten to this level. Agreed. Oh my God, this guy is so great. I mean, you know, again, I've seen him in stuff. He's avoided quote unquote mainstream films. He was in Cowboys and Aliens. I won't hold that against him. Yeah, I like him as an actor. I see all his movies, really. But that's because I like fringe things and that's what he wants to do. He doesn't have the look for a no. classic, you know, good looking, like leading man. Like that's not what he's going to get. He is no Heath Ledger when it comes to looks. <laughs> yeah, he's a nerdy guy, but he knows how to act and he can go to some dark places. Not unlike Kevin Spacey. But what 
perfect casting, first of all, that you got this nerdy guy. And second of all, the performance he gives is so intense. I still love Kevin Spacey's performance in Seven. I think he was amazing in that. And Dano is matching it. It's incredible. He's got what Edward Norton used to have, you know, like boyish and yet dangerous. Do you know if there was other considerations for this role? The other way they were planning on going, thank frickin' God they didn't, Jonah Hill. That's, they were considering him? Yep. Oh, that feels very Jim Carrey to me. <laughs> Jonah Hill wouldn't work for less than $10 million. As I mentioned, Robert Pattinson's only getting three, <laughs> and so they're like, no, Jonah, we're gonna go with this Dano guy. Thank goodness, because I did watch Don't Look Up. Everything I didn't like about that film was mostly Jonah Hill-based. Just played it up way too much, and it was way too over the top. And so, yeah, I like... Dano's gonna go over the top, but it just feels so much more menacing. It feels like it's coming from a real place. A scary place. Like, a really, like... You see why he sees an equal in Batman. You see why he smiles, and the plan is to get us together to look at what we've done. We're collaborators. I know your mind. I know who you really are. Yeah, they're both freaky. Yeah, we're going to see those parallels. Riddler's going to go off to Arkham, and they're going to go to his apartment, and he's got journals, just like Batman journals. His are all in code, but it feels very Seven, but it's also parallel to what Batman was doing. Batman's got his camera contact lenses, and Riddler has his devices, like these rat masks. I don't think he needed to say this. I think it's clear in the movie, but he will, for the back row who's not listening, say, you inspired me. This is what, you know, we didn't bring it up, but every freaking Batman says the line, I'm Batman. But in the trailers here, who are you? I'm Vengeance. Oh, and he gets called Mr. Vengeance. Like, they call out that vengeance so much. I picked up the second time watching this. Catwoman, that's her affectionate term for him. Yeah. Come on, Vengeance. Yeah, I don't know how they all heard what he called himself on the subway, but <laughs> Penguin calls him Mr. Vengeance, and but this is what vengeance brings. And here is where this movie elevates itself, is it really is a comment on the rage this country appears to be feeling. Honestly, I started feeling it really hard around the year 2000, you know, the Bush presidency divided the country, then the Obama presidency divided it further, and then God, Trump really set the wedge, and instead of political discourse... You've had vengeance and fighting, and I, I feel like this movie's channeling that. What I picked up on, and I felt like, because so many people started saying it during the Trump administration, was, you know, I grew up in a punk band and in that scene, and it was all about, let's riot in D.C. and take down the Capitol building, and then Trump becomes president, and people are like, he is the punk rock president, he's standing up against the establishment. I'm like, no, that's you're co-opting my subculture, like, that is not what punk rock is about, it has nothing to do with Trump, and I do feel like that is the commentary going on here like you take something like the idea of Batman and justice like we all want to be vigilantes we all want to see justice carried out we know the system can't do that sometimes but when we see it extrapolated in the way the Riddler does or maybe how it came out on January 6th we're like ooh wait no maybe we need to rethink this and find more nuance and find a better way to communicate this what is the proper response when you find out the people that you elect are basically pretending to take over drug operations that they then 
profit from. I mean, again, it's understandable. We're rooting for Batman to be that vengeance until he has the epiphanies he does in these final scenes. I think it's an interesting meta-reflection on the superhero to take the idea that what they normally do is contributing to the problem. And it is at this moment when we get Batman, you know, he's going to get a call. Riddler wants to see you in Arkham. And when we have all this come out, like this whole time, I'm like, yeah, this is really moody. I like the score. I like those four notes that are repeated over and over. It just gives it a certain tone that this is not Tim Burton Batman. This is not Christopher Nolan Batman. This is something dark and brooding. And yeah, those are supposed to be dark and brooding too, like we've said, but like this is really getting at it now. But the whole time I'm like, well, like, okay, but this is still just like Batman as a detective. Like, I don't, what's his arc here? And like, yeah, when we finally get to this scene, I'm like, oh, like this is kind of an anti-superhero film. It is. And yet- It's a stressful scene because in the Riddler's apartment, and he'd just been living at that apartment with the vantage point so he could always have that sniper rifle at the ready. And in the apartment, it has pictures of Batman, says, I know who you are. And when they get together in that visitation room at Arkham, he's going, Bruce Wayne. And Pattinson's acting is like, I'm busted. Oh, he's looking at the security cameras filming Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, he knows he's been caught. It's a great scene. Again, I'm thinking of the, from the Dark Knight, Batman and the Joker in the interrogation room. And, but this feels like an even more twisted version of it because yeah, I feel like the Riddler knows that he is toying and I love the way Pattinson plays this. Like he is so guilty looking like the looks on his face and looking at those cameras. He's busted. Yes. I like it that he kind of figured this is what he's walking into. He tells Gordon on the way out, it may be time for this to end. It may be time for the Batman to end, because once people know he's Bruce Wayne, he can't be the Batman anymore. I thought it was, but we still had 40 more minutes to go. (laughs) That is the shock. Like, I'm like, okay, this is the end. They're going to have their little confrontation. The end. No, there's a whole other subplot that's got to happen. No, you've got to have the head in the box. I knew this. Once you (laughs) capture John Doe, then he's going to lead you down this other path. Unfortunately, we're not going to get Selena's head in a box or something because that would be too dark for DC. We're going to get a big superhero must save the city, only it's Batman, so he can't. I mean, he's not Superman. (laughs) And and another thing I love, you know, Dano is like realizing, oh, you're not very smart. And like, I I love how broken up he is, like that they're not friends now. And he's like crying. And then he realizes that he's missed a clue. Oh, you're not very smart, are you? Not as smart as I thought you were. I like that. Yes. And what I love is, so yeah, Batman's going to go back to the apartment. He's going to find that tool that said the confession. And like he thought, oh, we already knew this was the murder weapon. It is the cop with the working class uncle who's like, oh, no, that's a carpet tool. Of course, a rich dude wouldn't know what this thing was. Like, I do like that it is the working class guy that identifies the tool. And then it clicks with Batman. Oh, I got to pull up the carpet with this. Yeah, I don't know many people that would know what that is. I thought it was an ice scraper. I've been <laughs> shoveling a lot in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, and underneath, there's that whole map with the Christmas lights, and it's, I guess, the seawall. They're kept one thing from the DCEU. Gotham is that island that's, like, across the lake, I guess, from Metropolis. And the Riddler, knowing who Batman is and flooding the city, I mean, these are taken from comic book storylines like Hush in Year One, where the Joker does flood Gotham, and it's like thrown into this state of chaos. 
And this is primarily Chicago. It's worth pointing out, obviously CGI enhanced. There's no city that looks like Gotham, but they shot in Chicago. I, I can just tell that, like, look at this thing. There's so much of the architecture. Uh, the Wayne skyscraper is the Tribune building. This arena here is Willis Ice building at the end. They've kept that from the Nolan verse. It almost feels like this could be a prequel to Nolan's world. Almost. Except Nolan's is year one. And year two, basically, as well. Like, that is the start of Batman. It's called Batman Begins. So, yeah, I was trying to think, could this fit in? I guess this could be an early Ben Affleck, because that's, like, old Batman. Much of this movie was filmed in the UK, actually, but some exteriors were done in Chicago. I felt like they were doing a pastiche of New York, though, because there's Gotham Square Garden. But that that is a building in Chicago, the Gotham Square Garden, for sure. Yeah, but my, my wife even thought, she's like, oh, they didn't cover up Madison Square Garden. I'm like, no, it did say Gotham Square Garden. Like, yeah, she was thinking... New York. Yeah, they took the name and they took Times Square. You're right, it's a composite. This is a fantastical city. It has even more billboards than Times Square, if you can believe it. I mean, that whole thing. Again, Blade Runner, though, with all the different advertisements on the light-up screens. Yeah, this is what we can do, is we can shoot something in Romania and bring in (laughs) New York, Chicago, and whatever we want. And no one can tell the wiser. Again, what's so remarkable is how seamless all these visuals are, and you just buy the vision of it. And of course, Riddler is disappointed that Batman didn't already pull up the carpet and know what he was going to do. Riddler thought that they were going to stand there in Arkham and watch the explosions go off his buddies. Right. He thought he knew. He When he smiled at him at the cafe, he thought, you're not going to say anything about what the real plan is, and we can enjoy this destruction, this washing away of this vile city together, because you and I are alike. That was the plan. Yeah. And there's part of the plan I don't understand. So... The explosions were going to go off. And again, I love Dano shouting boom as the explosions happen. Just mm, that performance. I just can't get over it. But the bombs go off to flood the city and kill thousands of people. And those who escape the flood are going to head to Gotham Square Garden for refuge. Well, they're already there because there's a political rally going on because there's a new mayor. But they also are directing people from the streets into Gotham Square Garden for protection. So if you weren't there already, you go there. And the 4chan, they don't say 4chan in the movie, but come on. The 4chan following of the Riddler has shown up there. They found where you can buy the masks, buy the outfits. They're Riddler cosplaying and have all brought their guns. Yes, I'm thinking January 6th, even though this was written before January 6th and everything. I know, like it's blowing me away, blowing me away that this was done before then. But what were the Riddler people there to do? Because they brought way too many bullets to just assassinate the mayor. Were they there to shoot everybody like rats in a barrel? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's what I took it as. Like the mayor, that was the first target, but it was just general terror. Yeah, it killed them all. Okay, I wasn't sure if that was the plan because they never shoot at anyone but the mayor and the Batman. This is where I feel like you're saying there was a four-hour screening cut. Like, this is where stuff was lost because when we get this subplot that there's a Riddler army, I'm like, what? Like, I guess looking back on it, when I noticed things when I saw it the second time, there are people protesting outside the mayor's funeral with Riddler signs, and there's that guy in the church talking to Bruce who's dissatisfied with the politicians. Like, there are little hints like that. They're changing. Chanting no more lies in the streets. So 
Yeah. I, I do find it ironic, though. Like, usually they want to drain the swamp. It feels like the Riddler's causing a swamp here with all this water. Again, they're hedging their bets. They're not saying anyone is right in this. They're saying, wipe it all out. They're saying everyone is equally deserving of this. And that's sort of playing it safe in some ways. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so that means no one's going to get offended politically watching this movie because everyone being ushered into this, not just the supporters of the new mayor, which would make more sense. And again, if she were exposed as a corrupt person as well, that would be even more interesting. But that Selena has been pushed in here. Everyone running from floodwaters, even though I don't know why, it's lower than the sea level. Like, it's actually, the arena is flooding faster. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like a basement. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it, but whatever. Again, another failure of Batman. He doesn't stop the bombs. The mayor is going to take a bullet, but, like, you look up and you just see these explosions going off on this skylight, and, like, Batman drops down. Like, again... Not a lot of action scenes here. Here's a big action moment of Batman taking out this Riddler army. It's like a disaster movie. It's not yeah. Batman swooping in and saving the day. It's more like, wow, look at all this destruction. Isn't this what you secretly wanted? And don't you feel a little guilty for wanting it now? I love The Dark Knight. I love the political commentary in it because I feel like it does have to do so much with these nuances and when do you skirt the law to bring in a bad guy. And, but it's also a great action film. Like, there's so many great action scenes in that. Here, I don't know if I'm supposed to enjoy these action scenes. Like, this Batman is brutal. When he punches people, this feels like those Arkham video games where Batman is just breaking bones. I was definitely thinking the Arkham games here. When he comes in through the skylight with the explosions, and in the Arkham games that I played, I always was dropping down on people. And They've done that since Burton. Yeah, but not this brutal, like where he is like just pounding people's faces in. Oh no, it's not Burton at all. I'm just saying they're taking his old moves and they're making us question why we ever celebrated it. Why do we ever like this guy? He's just as much of a problem as anyone else. But then he's going to lose. He's going to fall off and this Riddler guy is just going to take his time reloading, put that double-barreled shotgun right up against that leather mask. There's no way Batman would survive that blast. And Selina shows up again. But this Batman is bulletproof for some reason. Like, that is the one thing that bugs me. He takes so many bullets. I don't care how strong that suit is, even with a Kevlar vest. Aim for the jaw. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And even with a Kevlar vest, you got broken ribs if you take a shot that close. But it, I gotta ask, again, cutscene maybe? Like, Batman is laying on the ground, Catwoman comes in, saves him, and then she gets grabbed. So Batman's gotta save Catwoman. He grabs a green vial. And I've seen people online hypothesize, like, this is Venom, the stuff that Bane would take to get super strong in the comics. And, like, it's an adrenaline shot, it's something, but he's able to just get up and go after this green vial. And I feel like that is something you gotta set up. It doesn't look like just a medical shot, which I would have just accepted. I just thought... Everybody's seen Pulp Fiction. This was adrenaline. <laughs> and he's now. That was not neon green, though, like this stuff. <laughs> but he, the way that he reacts to it and then just pummels the hell out of that guy to the point that they have to pull him off of this Riddler, dude. Yeah, no, my wife thought he was dead. Like, she's like, there's no way he's alive. I did too. And I'm always the one, like, Batman can't kill. Like, that. he's against that. Most superheroes shouldn't be killing in their films or in the comics. But here, like, Batman made that point earlier to Selina. Like, put the gun down. You don't want to cross that line. And now we've seen Batman, who's been more or less, again, abstract, 
disconnected from humanity. Here is a human that he cares about as much as Selena cared about Annika. And so he goes crazy. Like, he has lost it. And, like, I love seeing the reaction of Selena and Gordon when they're pulling him off. And that guy's still alive. Like, they, they unmasked that Riddler army guy. He's still alive. His face is smashed in. But he is vengeance. And that's when it clicks. And, like, that's when it clicked with me. I'm like, oh, they're actually commenting on superheroes and Batman in this. And, like, it was that moment, like, where this whole film, like, flipped for me. Like, it wasn't just, like, this beautiful, disaffected Batman that's brooding. I'm like, oh, they got something they want to say here. And superhero movies have done this move before. You mentioned Watchmen and what have you. But we're at an interesting moment culturally where I think the wake-up call has more resonance. It's like, people are like, yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm still going to root for someone that goes and kicks the ass of whoever to get the point right. But I think we literally now can feel the dystopia. We've lived through that on January 6th. Like, that's horrific. Well, not, it's not just January 6th. It's also anyone that's, like, out there fighting. It's like, yeah, we're headed real close to that dystopia. Like, if your idea of tackling the problem is to break glass and go at someone, we're not going to make it. And you said this is where the movie turns for you, Jacob. This is where the movie turns for Batman. He's going to go from fighting to rescuing. He's going to risk his life, not in combat, but to stop citizens from being electrocuted. And he's going to put his hand out for the mayor, and the mayor knows what Batman has been and will not take his hand. But after the dead mayor's son takes Batman's hand and pulls out, then the mayor's like, okay, maybe you're really trying to help and not just beat the crap out of people. Yeah, we get this great scene, like, the floods have come in. I, I guess he's got to cut this wire so the people don't get shocked. Like, he sacrifices himself. He literally has to remove the bat symbol to save the day. Like, no longer Batman. I'm going to be the hero. Cuts that line, drops him in the water. Again, another beautiful shot of with that flare leading the people out of the floods. And anonymous, too. Even though he sticks out like a sore thumb in that outfit, he's just one of the many rescuers, like, lifting people to airlift and what have you. Like, he just has become a part of a community as opposed to this vessel of vengeance. But the monologue comes back. He's journaling the next day, I guess. November 6th. <laughs> he does say one thing that is a little cheesy. He's like, I must be a symbol of hope. I'm like, I thought that was Superman. I thought the S stood for hope. I didn't think the bat symbol stood for hope. Oh, I mean, that took me back to Nolan where so much of the dialogue was, I'm a symbol, Alfred. Again, Nolan, not the best at subtlety. So like, we're just going to call out how many times he has to be the symbol of something. And it's a little clumsy, but they're setting up like there's martial law. Like this is not a good Gotham. Like I'm interested in the sequel. Like I hope it picks up with this where martial law, the penguins rising to be the new crime boss. Like it it's planting all the seeds for what's to come. Including Joker, apparently. Not Joaquin Phoenix. Nope. I thought for sure it would be Joaquin. I thought if you're separating this from the DCEU and Joker made so much money, they want a way to bring Joker back. The question has always been, will Joker have Batman in Joker 2? And to have this good of a Batman going up against Joaquin would... I mean, that would be a billion dollars in the bank, I'm just going to say. <laughs> My thought was, I'm like, okay, because we saw a gang painted like the Joker, and that took place in the 70s. It doesn't quite jive with the timeline with Thomas Wayne, because I believe he died, like, him, Martha and Thomas died in the Joker, and they wouldn't be around in 2000 to run for mayor if it was the same timeline. But I'm like, maybe this Joker is inspired by Joaquin. I mean, I guess they could retcon it somehow. Yeah, he could be his dad or something, you know, who knows what they'll do with it. But yes. I'm excited it's Barry Keegan. Again, killing of a sacred deer. Like, watch him if you have any doubts that he could pull off the Joker. Yeah, he's terrifying. 
My only thing is the glimpse we get of the Joker makes him look like there's way too much prosthetics on. Like he's, it almost looks like a Dick Tracy villain from that 1990 (laughs) movie with this like giant Richard Nixon, Jay Leno chin going on. And that I do. Yeah, I do feel like that is a certain take in the comic books where he has this really pronounced chin and maybe they're going for that. But Riddler has a friend and with the appearance of the Joker, it hit me. They've done Batman 66. You got Catwoman, Penguin, Joker, and the Riddler. Yeah. Yeah, no, they stuff this one in a way that it kind of sneaks up on you. And I'm like, again, you can never get away from Batman 66. You can never get away from Tim Burton. I feel like those are ingrained. And so you just embrace that and do your own take on it. And I thought it was really smart how they did all that here. But despite having four comic villains in this, this is the best superhero movie with so many villains appearing where it never feels like it's trying to do too much. It does not feel like Batman Forever with Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey hamming it up together every scene. Or Spider-Man 3 or even Batman Returns to a degree. Anytime you try to do too many villains, it's often at the expense of the movie. Best, every one of them, with the exception of Joker, who's a cameo, feels like fully fleshed out characters here. Yeah, are we even calling Selina a villain? I mean, Catwoman, she kind of rides that line. She's self-interested, so who knows what it means. She's riding off at the end here to go beat up CEOs. She's like, I'm not down with this hope stuff. This town is corrupt. I'm out of here. She is off to Bloodhaven, which is a DC city. That's where Nightwing took up his home when he decided to become an independent superhero. Okay. I figured that city had to mean something to someone. I've never heard of it. (laughs) But I did think it was a little cheesy when the two were like romantically riding their motorcycles side by side. It reminded me of Fast and Furious 7, I guess, with Vin Diesel and Paul Walker. Here's the thing, and it'll be interesting because we'll get there with Twilight, but I'm watching this scene in the cemetery. They're at Selena's mother's grave, and I'm like, oh, this is a brooding romance, like, Pattinson is doing what he should have done in Twilight. It's going to be interesting to go back and see why that brooding romance does not work. But in this, I'm like, oh, it's more or less working. Like, he's pulling it off here. Yeah, I buy this romance. The idea that they both want to do kind of the same thing. They want to upset the system, but in different ways. And that's why they can't be together. We know that she might be riding off in the rearview mirror. But obviously, when we get the sequel, I presume you're right. We got Penguin running the crime. We got a jailbreak destined to happen between Joker and Riddler and she'll find a reason to come back for herself maybe another lover maybe for Batman I look forward to that as a setup for an even more epic part two they've really done a great job the movie Ben Affleck was going to make, the script he'd written and everything, was going to be somewhat based on Arkham Asylum. If you look at the scene at the end of Zack Snyder's Justice League, that's the original Deathstroke scene. It was refilmed because they knew they weren't making that movie when Joss Whedon did it. Yeah, I got that vibe, like that they're setting up Arkham as a place. I guess we spent some time there in in other reiterations, but here it felt like they're really building it up. Yeah, and that Arkham Asylum, it's basically Alice in Wonderland, but in a mental institution with Batman as Alice and all the mental patients have escaped. And like you have the Mad Hatter there, like referencing Alice in Wonderland, making it very literal, but it's this otherworldly place. And yeah, it'll be interesting Hmm. if they can find a way to do that. 
I'm just wondering, since they had a script and an idea for that, and you've got Riddler and Joker in Arkham, and, I mean, I've never met anyone who doesn't like the Arkham games. It's just, like, a universal, one of the best video games ever. I love it. And that could be a way to go. What I do know is they have two TV series greenlit, although I've heard three concepts, so I don't know what the second one is. If they do with the Arkham TV series, then that probably wouldn't be the movie. And two sequels planned. They're looking at this as the Pattinson trilogy. Yeah, after seeing that, I guess I'm spoiling something, but I I'm glad they're planning a trilogy. Well, I don't, I mean, I don't think we've been hiding our cards too much, <laughs> but riddle me this. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend The Batman? Jacob. I started talking about Taxi Driver, like, this feels like Travis Bickle as Batman at the beginning. And, look, I love that movie. There is an appeal to that kind of anti-hero, that they're outside the law so they can do things that politicians, law enforcement, they can't or won't do. We've seen that in comic books. Like, Rorschach in Watchmen is a despicable character, but so many readers love him because there is something appealing to black and white morality. Like, this is the way it is. We're gonna get rid of the bad guys. We'll have just the good guys. That's also kind of fascism. There is no democratic process there, and I think that is something comic books struggle with. Like, you have these super strong people, like, that's my way or the highway. It's, it's my, that is right. And so to revisit those concepts, and I feel like Snyder, like, feeds into that as well. I feel like that's why a lot of people like the Snyderverse and why it's, I kind of am standoffish towards it. Like, I, I just don't like that aesthetic, and that was part of my hesitance coming into here. And so this, compared to Todd Phillips' The Joker, which takes this aesthetic from Taxi Driver and Scorsese, like, I feel like that just plays into that, and that's why it kind of bothered me. It's like, yes, things are, you know, I used to think life was a tragedy, now it's a comedy, and I'm gonna laugh and kill people and do things my way, and I'm actually an anti-hero. I'm like, ugh, I don't know how satisfying that is to me as a middle-aged man, as, as a teenager in my 20s, like, I love that stuff. Love the Punisher, like, makes it very simple life to go that way. So for this to turn all that on its head and go, well, maybe Travis Bickle and maybe Rorschach and even Batman, they need to mature and find out ways to actually be heroes without just punching people and putting them in the hospital, like, that's what made this film for me. Before that, I'm like, this is a very good, well-shot film. Great cinematography. I like the score here. I like the simplicity of it. It made it feel like a horror movie at times, and, and that was something when I saw Dark Knight Rises, like, I felt like that was such a punishing movie. We're going to destroy Batman and have Bane as, as this character that takes over the city. Like, that felt kind of like a horror movie to this. That's nothing compared to this. Like, this is such a tortured film, bringing in, yeah, Seven, Saw, all those things we've talked about. And yet, saying, maybe there's a better way to do that. Like, we, we got to overcome that impulse to be the anti-hero and take the law into our own hands. And that's what makes this film for me. Like, that emotional turn in the third act, very late into it, but like, this is getting at something deeper and this is hitting me the way the Dark Knight did like the, the commentary that that was going after like this hit me in a similar way I don't know if this is better than the Dark Knight there's minor problems I have with it with probably just stuff that got cut out that would have helped it smooth it out a bit and some of those riddles are kind of silly and it's not an action film though like that's what I was struggling with the first time I'm like well where were the action scenes where's the cool semi getting flipped over where, where's stuff like that and it's more about artistic shots and mood and that's fine like I've accepted it like I accepted it by the end of the first viewing and the second one like I was really enjoying the tone of this film so yeah this is a strong recommend it is unlike the majority I don't want to say unlike any superhero film but, but like yeah if you like the poppy vibe of Marvel the MCU this is different they're just going for something deeper here I'm here for it like strong recommend for the Batman Stuart yeah and I think the compliment that I really want to 
put out there is that, you know, we've covered 60 years of Batman in cinema. We've covered over 125 superhero movies. What more can you do that's different? This movie has found a way to do that. Like, I don't know if it's a new take on the character, but it's certainly a new twist on the character that Bruce Wayne is irrelevant and we're just dealing with the Batman. That, you know, to the young generation, you create your own identity your own sexuality. You don't worry about what your parents did and the awful legacy you might have. It's a tricky concept. Again, the performance, a real acting challenge that Pattinson is up for. And so I'm really excited to see what his Batman is going to do. And he's surrounded by maybe screen best. Best Catwoman ever. Zoe Kravitz, she's really amazing in this film. Riddler, certainly. <laughs> Sorry, Frank Gorshin. Sorry, Jim Carrey, but this is the Riddler. Frank Gorshin's pretty good, but yes, no. Dano does something special with it. Yeah, DeVito, get out of here. I mean, again, like Penguin, all of these, they have made a majestic movie that has the screen best interpretations of the characters. I'm going to stop short of saying that this is the best Batman movie, though. And why would that be? How can you have so many great elements, but the movie itself is not great? Because it's a little overstated. It's definitely overlong. And I think that they would have had a tighter movie if they didn't draw it out that extra hour. I mean, I really did feel the length. And I think that... You know, maybe it's my age, too. You know, when I was younger, Blade Runner and Seven, these movies had such impact on me. Now that I'm seeing it come back in this way, maybe I'm just less impressed than a young person would coming to this that doesn't know those old movies. So it is certainly powerful. It's certainly a cool take on the character. It is a great renewal. I'll use that word. (laughs) Maybe that will turn into corruption if that's the theme of this movie. But I'm hoping these seeds will grow into an even better sequel, I think that they can make it even more emotionally complex because I think this movie is blunted in its somberness. I mean, I definitely would have liked somebody to tell a joke at one point. I mean, you got the penguin with his Ellen Law joke. I like that. I laughed. Thumb drive. Mmm. You know what I'm saying. It could use a little (laughs) bit more diversity in characters and mood. It's pretty oppressive to feel the same way for three hours. But where they landed is unlike where Batman has ever been before. And I want to see him go to wherever he's going to next. It's a very solid recommend. And I really respect the hell out of this film. I can echo what you said, Stuart, about these performances. I can't even put them up against previous performances because it feels like different characters using the same names. Yeah, you can't compare them to Bale because that's a different version of Batman than this. I can compare the Batmans, but I can't compare Danny DeVito to Colin (laughs) Farrell here. It's totally different. Allegedly, that we're told it's Colin Farrell. I still have doubts. (laughs) And I can't really compare... Halle Berry to Zoe Kravitz. I can. This one's better. No comparison. (laughs) Yeah, I think you can. I definitely feel this interpretation of Catwoman is along the lines of Anne Hathaway in Dark Knight Rises, but very different than Michelle Pfeiffer. You know, I don't think these iterations will ever erase the iconic versions of them with the Penguin having a umbrella weaponry. I mean, those are bigger and they just stick into the pop culture more than a a subtle take. Let me clarify and say they may not be the definitive. They're the ones that I liked the best. Agreed. Here's what it did. And it's so hard to really do this, but they always say 
we're trying to make a grounded superhero film. And yet, how do you do that? How do you make a grounded film that's still going to deliver the adrenaline that comic book fans want? Here, they weren't interested in delivering the adrenaline that comic fans have come to expect. That's not what this film is. And to that degree, I think a lot of people might end up disappointed in this film, but I respect the hell out of it for being a truly different superhero film after, yes, hundreds of them coming out and us reviewing over a hundred of them. This one blazed new territory and people who complain that it's not R-rated, it feels R-rated. They even dropped the F-bomb. Yeah. So it's really a hard movie. And I'm surprised how much I really liked the performances across the board. Just bravo to the actors involved. Is it my favorite Batman movie? I just don't think it reaches the heights of The Dark Knight, which stays my number one. And it's just because The Dark Knight had similar societal commentary. Yeah, they did it first. Mm -hmm. This might be a darker pitch, but it is essentially the blueprint of Nolan. Yeah, if someone says, let's watch a Batman movie, I'm putting on The Dark Knight because they're probably going to enjoy that one better because it's an action film. For sure. You could have more fun. Yeah, more emotional range. What's funny is if I say, let's put on a Batman film, I'm putting on 89 or maybe Batman Forever. Oh, come on. Batman Forever. <laughs> I never go to The Dark Knight because it's so heavy that it requires an actual sit-down viewing experience. You can't casually watch it. But I'll return to The Dark Knight before this one, despite really admiring all this film accomplished. It's a very strong recommend. Yeah, it, it's minor degrees of difference between my enjoyment of The Dark Knight and this. Like, I could see myself putting on this one if I'm in a certain mood. If I just listen to My Chemical Romance and put on some eyeliner, I'm putting on The Batman. Okay, then I think I'm maybe the least fan because I did think, again, like that opening monologue, like, it's a, it's a warning. To them! I mean, it just overstated a little bit. There's too many scenes in this movie. There's too much of the same thing in this movie. It's cream soda. A couple drinks, good. By the end of it, you can't finish the bottle. I'll agree with you. The third hour is the least hour. The hour with the bombs, the moment Dano goes to jail. Yeah, I wanted it gone. Let's go. They needed to put a head in a box and instead they flooded the city <laughs> and didn't show us the carnage. So I think Arnie and I are both saying like Dark Knight and then this. If What would you put above this then, Stuart? I'm assuming the Dark Knight, Batman Begins. I know you really like that one. Yeah, both of those. But this might be third. I would put this slightly above Joker. I think they have set themselves up here in a way. I love The Dark Knight so much that I don't know that I'll ever say a film is better than that. I don't know where it has flaws, but I think they could make a film to equal The Dark Knight with the ingredients they have here. You know, the first time making a film always has some bumps. You always have a bit mm -hmm. of a learning curve. And the second time is you can either sophomore slump or you can really rise above. But Matt Reeves... Not a name that really rolls off the tongue for directing, but after this, 
I really hope he can take it to the next level. Like, if we're looking at Nolan, like, Batman Begins, I thought that was a, a good film, like, strong, but then he did something better. So if this is Reeves' Batman Begins and he could improve upon this, like, wow, he's going to really blow me away. Yeah, they're really set up to do something special. This isn't totally trailblazing in this one, but where they land at the end and where they're pointed is somewhere I've never seen a superhero go. I can't imagine watching Batman trying harder and harder to be Bruce Wayne. Like, that's weird. I'm just gonna flip, though, if we see The Flash with the multiverse and Robert Pattinson cameos, like, they end up, like, The Flash pops into this universe for a while. Maybe he was in the background at the church or something. <laughs> I don't see them doing that. Maybe they'll think that's the way to go, but I, again, I've gotten the sense that DC's very comfortable having different shades of the same thing. They have to be because their cinematic universe sucks. Patchwork. <laughs> They're trying to make it go somewhere. I'm not looking forward to Hawkman in Black Adam show up, but yeah, like I like when, like what Nolan is, that was just its own little private thing and I think that's what works best. People love the Joker, made a billion dollars. And Black Adam is what's coming next. I don't know what that is. I really don't. It's a Shazam thing. He's an old version of Shazam. Okay. Front ancient Egypt. But they're bringing Dr. Fate into that with Pierce Brosnan and again, Hawkman. Like, wow. Kudos to them for the balls to bring in Hawkman. I just hope they bring in Detective Chimp with it. He's a chimp <laughs> who's a detective. It's great. Oh, I want that one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I want Gleep or Gleek or whatever that monkey was with the Wonder Twins. You, you want the Wonder Twins? <laughs> oh my. Well, we'll have to wait on some of those. Yeah, we have to wait till early August to review Black Adam, but... Our next DC show is actually coming in May. Remember, guys, they're doing the cartoon, the DC League of Super Pets, <laughs> with Keanu Reeves as Batman. I think it'll be a very different Batman than Robert Pattinson. Mm. And before we get The Rock as Black Adam, The Rock's going to be in there as Crypto, Superman's dog. But before we get to more DC movies, we do have a lot of movies we're going to be covering. A lot of blockbuster films, both in theaters and some older films, such as this Friday. If you are a now playing donor or patron at the gold level or higher, we are reviewing the fifth Harry Potter film this Friday. If you donate now, you can hear us review The Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone if you're overseas, Chamber of Secrets, Prisoner of Azkaban, Goblet of Fire, and this... Friday, Order of the Phoenix. We're doing a Harry Potter per week as we lead up to Fantastic Beasts and the Secrets of Dumbledore. And over at booksandnachos.com, our sister podcast, for no donation, you can hear Stuart, Brock, and I review J.K. Rowling's original Harry Potter novels. And I just want to endorse those. I'm not on that series. I'm not a fan of those movies. I've never read the book, but I've really enjoyed your guys' discussions about the books and the movies. They've been surprisingly fun discussions to have. I was kind of reluctant to go back to the Potterverse. I was the skeptic. If we go back to our old roles of the newbie, the skeptic, and the fan, I was the skeptic. I read all seven books, but didn't see more than half of these movies. But I think it's been a real fun ride so far, and I really hope you guys can join us. It's just a $25 donation for the eight Harry Potter podcasts, or $35 or more, and we'll throw in the Fantastic Beasts at the platinum level. I'm just living until Jacob and I can cover the Twilight books. <laughs> <laughs> Which I have never read, even though I'm a 
fan in quotes, a brown arrow fan of those films. <laughs> yes, I've never read those books. I don't know if I'm looking forward to reading them, but yes, whatever insight they could give me into this phenomenon. I don't even know if it's a phenomenon anymore, but it was at one point. That is at the silver level donation, $10 or more. So if you do donate for the Harry Potter films or the Fantastic Beasts films, you will get to join us on Twilight's reviews later this summer. And it is your support that keeps us going, keeps us able to podcast. There's a lot of weekend of releases this year. I think all the stuff that's been clogged for the past two years is finally coming out. I saw a trailer for Top Gun 2 before the Batman, and I actually think it's coming out this time. <laughs> but we're actually going to get Morbius, guys. Aren't you excited? That's finally coming out. Mm-hmm. It, it's been as delayed as Top Gun 2, I guess. It really has. Probably Jared Leto's going to have to do press and be like, I sort of remember I made a movie. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a, a stacked summer, so why don't you get in on the action right here in the spring with big movies, Harry Potter, Twilight, and then, yeah, everything we've got lined up for the summer, it's going to be big. And it is all thanks to our donors and our patrons that we're able to do all those shows as well as the shows we put out every single Tuesday. And yes, Jacob, our next trip to theaters is going to be Morbius. But Stuart, fill them in on what's going to be on our main feed every Tuesday between now and then. It's time to go back to video game movies because there's still a few to drag <laughs> our carcasses through. Yes, what can we turn the arcade off? We're close. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is coming in a month. And so we're going to try and get through what's left, which is an eclectic sounding <laughs> bunch of films. Some I've seen, some I have not. A court drama? <laughs> yeah. Next week, there was a video game about lawyers uh, that Arnie's played that we'll see how well that should work as a movie. I think it would work more as a movie than a video game, frankly. But Ace <laughs> Attorney. It's a fun game. Yeah, it's a big cult hit, th those Ace Attorney games. Okay. Yeah, they made a movie of it in Japan. We're covering that. And then in the weeks ahead, we got Assassin's Creed. And don't forget Dolph. He, <laughs> he took a self phone game, Dead Trigger. Never heard of it. I think Mickey Rourke's in it too, so it's extra good. Oh, it's it's like The Expendables. Wow, it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. So, we will be back next week with Ace Attorney. Same bat day, same bat website. We've received a letter from Batman this morning. Please inform the citizens of Gotham that Gotham City has earned the rest from crime. But if the forces of evil should rise again to cast a shadow on the heart of the city, call me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now-playing Batman Movie Retrospective series. Well, that was very brief. Just like all the men in my life. Part of our DC Comics movie series. Fortune smiles, another day of wine and roses. In your case, beer and pizza. Ha! Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another Batman movie. My business, repeat customers. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, check out our archives where you can find reviews of other comic-based movies, such as Green Lantern, The Avengers, X-Men, Howard the Duck, and many more. If you gotta go, go with a smile. <laughs> you can also listen to our non-comic-based movie reviews, such as Star Trek, Terminator, Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Tron, and many others. Now that 
That's impressive. You can set your bat phone to subscribe and get every new Now Playing podcast. RSS subscription details are at nowplayingpodcast.com. I hope you're listening, Bruce Wayne. While at nowplayingpodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners. Don't talk like one of them. You're not. Even if you'd like to be. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. Come on, you gruesome son of a bitch. Come to me. (laughs) The link to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Oh, you made it. I'm so thrilled. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. So what are we waiting for? Let's consummate our fiendish union. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. It's not about what I want. It's about what's fair! You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can't get capes and cowls, yet you can buy panties, t-shirts, coffee mugs, calendars, mouse pads, and much more. Alfred, let's go shop. Yes. Now Playing's Batman Retrospective Series is edited by Arnie. This continues. It won't be long before you've nothing left. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. I hate that people talk during the movie. Now Playing is not affiliated with Warner Brothers Pictures or DC Comics. Batman and all that DC's infinite Earths contain are the property and trademark of DC Comics, and no infringement is intended. The law doesn't apply to people like him or us. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. This is why Superman works alone. Now Playing is a Inganza Media production, copyright 2022, all rights reserved. Gotta go! So many people to kill, so little time. Are you guys going to do Swiss Army Man as part of Harry Potter? It's got David Radcliffe farting as a corpse. Nah, you know what? I kind of like the movie. It was okay. I like that movie. Dano's great in that one. Pattinson is doing what he should have done in Twilight. It's going to be interesting to go back and see why that brooding romance does not work. But in this, I'm like, oh, it's more or less working. Like, he's pulling it off here. I wince every time you keep saying we'll get to it with Twilight. (laughs) (laughs) It it is so... Bad compared to this. Well, compared to anything, really. <laughs> it's always interesting to understand a phenomenon. I don't know that phenomenon. 